0: Hello and welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. My name is Sunny. I use they them pronouns and today we have ve- We have so many hot takes for you and we have two pieces of media to be discussed as well So it's gonna be really really fun. It's gonna be a sleigh and i'm really excited. How about you
1: renaissance? <laughs> I'm also very excited. My name is renaissance. I also use they them pronouns co-host of the pod you know, I'm not behind on any of my classes thus far into the quarter, and, slay. and that's that is a sleigh. Mm. And I have unprecedented. fans already. Yeah, unprecedented, and I have fans. In we, your should, we should check. I should check to see if I have any fan updates. While um, any while I get fan into... update, when they say fan update, they
0: mean people responding <laughs> to their to their class posts in their gender
1: studies <laughs> class. <laughs> 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 yeah, the fan, the fans in question is one person <laughs> in my gender theory upper division class who went out of their way to respond to my discussion post. Because, you know, like in most like some classes, like part of your grade is like to make the post and respond to like yeah, one of your yeah. peers or something like that. We don't have responses like they just mm-hmm. you just have to put the post and mm-hmm. like they responded to me, which means like they like went and like read it but then also I feel bad because like well I don't feel bad but I posted mine this is a little aside from the pod they're due on Fridays at noon I posted mine like Wednesday evening Wednesday night and it's like basically a small essay as it is covered under the guise of a discussion post and so then like all of my peers who are going to do this like last minute is gonna like look to see what everyone else did this week and it's gonna be like shit or at least that's what i would do whenever anyone (laughs) would do a discussion and be like what's what's the vibe for this week Mm -hmm. um so we shall see yeah no fan updates but i i am going to go through and later at a later time and read everyone else's
0: um okay yeah let's just hop right in so we do hot takes media recommendations as usual per usual so yeah today uh let's just get into our first one so our first one is from rose and they said hello huge fan of the podcast even though i just found it recently Thank you. Welcome. I have listened to the majority of the the episodes, but forgive me if I cover things that have already been talked about. Don't worry about it. So then they said, my biggest hot take is that the idea that theory or critical literature is behind a paywall or that it's ableist to tell people to read it is so fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Which, okay, we... (laughs) Relatable. We, <laughs> no, we have fought this. Fight. We have literally we have battled this, this. Oh my god. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a high schooler with severe learning disabilities, and I can under- And if I can understand it, you can too. But this leads me to my bigger point. People need to stop acting like they read about a topic when all they do is listen to a podcast. If the podcast isn't just someone on reading it out loud, of course, or read a quick summary. So so many people just say they read things after listening to a YouTuber talk about it and it's getting on my nerves (laughs) and slay my second even hotter take is that all too well is an overhyped song and almost every song on red is better treacherous is a banger no one talks about and my god is the lucky one good it shows the 1989 reputation through line goes back further my final hot take is that fanfiction is modern day pulp fiction it is often unedited but is a way for queer and specifically lesbian stories to thrive anyways thank you for listening to my random thoughts about whatever. Sorry for any errors, dyslexia is not my friend. I love the podcast. Thank you so much Rose. We appreciate your message so much. <laughs> so,
1: so great. Very fun to read. Yes. Um, what are what are your thoughts? What what's your what's your initial? So, the reaction the critical response? literature theory thing
0: just cracked me up <laughs> because I I've battled this battle on many fronts, on Twitter, on TikTok, mm-hmm. in real life, all the time. And I think one of your readings recently that you shared with me was uh, Bell Hooks talking about theory and how it's... Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes, 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 Yeah. And, the yeah. The TikTok that you made of, of long-distance best friends who send each other academic articles. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Reading. We yes. have
0: been so active on TikTok recently at the Lavender Menace pod, mm-hmm. and we've been battling many battles on there <laughs> if you know yes. you
1: know Fanny and i both are fighting it's it's a war with many fronts if yes. you will yes. because Fanny and i are battling two different like trains <laughs> of gods on the same account so everyone's everyone's beefing with the lavender pod count but yeah. us as individuals are doing two different yeah two
0: yeah. different battles because the anti-gaylers are coming after you um yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they're all I'm, like teenagers, I'm the fight. Yeah, yeah, and I and I have my little additions to it sometimes, but I'm locked out of my my TikTok account that at this point has like twenty thousand followers. It's actually insane. I'm like, so y'all couldn't bring this energy to my podcast, my YouTube, nothing. Like it's my dumb ass TikToks in which I put no effort into <laughs> and and just say random mm-hmm. things at. Because one of my TikToks went viral. It has like I don't know, like six hundred thousand views or something, and like a hundred thousand co- like likes and uh, like thousands of comments it's making me ill to even think about and it's also even more frustrating because I'm banned on that account for hashtag harassment
1: and bullying my two favorite things and so mm. <laughs> I can't like I just got another strike today oh it's actually for my Othello TikTok that I made using uh, the Kanye West yeah <laughs> I yes like, I remember that one some of my
0: TikToks on my book hoarder account infamous for many things but on that account <laughs> um Like, I'm banned from posting for, like, a week, so waiting, counting down the days to January 18th so I can talk my shit again. But since then, I've been using the Lavender Menace Pod account to, like, respond to people's comments that have made me so angry that I needed to give a response to um but anyways regardless I do think theory and critical literature like that shit isn't behind a paywall come on marxist.org google like you can find almost any text that I've ever talked about for free online and even if you even if you can't like library apps I use those all the fucking time like I I don't understand this idea that it's not accessible in any sense of the term because there's even like free YouTube audiobooks reading you this shit out loud. Come
1: on, come on, and I was podcasts, gonna say, people most, read like, theory out loud too. Socialist or communist channels, like that's how I read or listened to like, half of um, "Our Prisons Obsolete" by Angela mm-hmm. Davis was a. YouTube audiobook of it and then also foundational text of the pod a uh, state and revolution by Yes mine, yes <laughs> which we talk about all the time I also listened yes. to by or read it by listening to it on yeah YouTube for yeah. free. And State and Revolution is one of those books that like if you have any
0: incl- inclination towards socialism it's one of those books that are so necessary you can't not read that book you literally just Mm -hmm. can't come on come on it's it's not even about this the comprehension thing because the thing about comprehension is that it's really easy to talk to people about this shit or like be in reading groups and stuff like me and renaissance met through a reading group we are in a reading group right now like we regularly Mm -hmm engage with critical theory and text and ask for definitions and reflections and thoughts that apply to our day-to-day lives and it's always really beneficial and very meaningful and necessary I think like you can't just I agree with Rose like you can't just act as if you read something if the only thing that you've quote-unquote read is a summary or someone else's words on that said words like you there the connection between you and the actual text itself is what's important not the commentary in between the commentary comes from you and and interacting with other people who have interacted with the same text it's not something that you can mm-hmm. really get without interacting with the text itself honestly like i don't think that's really possible i very
1: much agree because i think like i definitely for myself at least have the comprehension or be able to understand the the text that i have read like actually read myself without the reading groups or without talking to Sunny or just like bringing it up in conversation with other people who have read it because like talking about it in some form of community like with other people who can use the text to apply it to things that are applicable to you um is important for understanding but like you still have to like engage with it yourself like you can't just like kind of do a telephone word of mouth understanding Mm -hmm. or reading Mm -hmm. of it because you're still not it's just not going to be internalized the same way Mm -hmm. as it is when like you actually like read it yourself Mm -hmm. but also think like again like the whole paywall thing or that it's like really inaccessible in a financial way just is like that's people who just like don't go out of their way to even try to find it and then mm-hmm. want an excuse as to why mm-hmm. they're not reading theory because mm-hmm. you say oh you should read this to understand better and they're like well I don't have the financial data that it does well it's like you actually don't need that and then when you mm-hmm. say that it's because oh well the vocabulary is too high or it's too hard for me to understand so that's bad in this way and you're like oh well I can help you or here are reading groups of people who are reading it all together so that you mm-hmm. can like ask for questions and definitions, like." I find that often people who try and complain about even telling people to read theory are Mm -hmm. people who are in positions where they, even if they had to pay for it, could afford it Mm -hmm. or have the time or have whatever comprehension skills necessary and Mm -hmm. just don't want to. Mm -hmm. Because the people who want to find things that are accessible to them or find The material yeah that works for them yeah it's
0: really just about your initiative and people are making excuses or acting as if it's being elitist to tell people to read it's like no it's actually not elitist it is just basic respect to encourage other people to read it's basic it's a respect of someone else's intelligence and someone else's ability to engage with material like I think it's elitist to be like no you wouldn't get it let me explain to you like I don't like that mediator Mm -hmm. because no no one is like the people who are writing this don't think they're smarter than anyone else the people who are reading it don't have to think that they're smarter than anyone else like that's the point the point is that theory that leads to liberation is it's not something that can prove your academic like elitism or, or intelligence. It's just something that has been used throughout history to equip people with the knowledge and analysis and frameworks and skills to be able to contextualize their position in the world and also work towards liberation. Because capitalism and also oppression, all forms of oppression itself, it's so complex, it's so multi-variant, it's mm-hmm. something that, it's so dense to even think about, like, the world is such a complicated mm-hmm. place, so theory is about learning about it, unpacking it, and, it's, and yes, of course, you don't need it to have empathy or to understand that the world is fucked up. I think anyone can understand the, that the world is fucked up. Anyone's individual experiences can prove to them that these things are bad, like, patriarchy is bad, capitalism is bad, racism is bad, but those things don't those interpersonal interactions and your observations of the world, it's not a systemic analysis. It's not like a condensed, amalgamated version of collective experience. No one person Mm -hmm. can have a collective experience because that's the whole point about a collective experience. It's collective. And so to individualize your experience with racism or with sexism or whatever as the experience is itself a problem and it also doesn't contextualize that shit in a larger way and also if material condition and i've made a tiktok about this where i literally started off by saying if material conditions were enough to radicalize people Everyone would be radicalized. Like, come on. Isn't that, that is so Mm -hmm. obvious. And it's not, and that, and that kind of shows that class consciousness is not achieved through experiences. It's achieved through engaging with, you know, materials and contradictions that bring to light the reality of how oppression works at large. It's not something that you can yourself just individually experience. Like nowadays, when a lot of this shit has been commodified, the identity of feminism, the identity of anti-racism, the these roles, these positions that you can take have become something that either-
1: Justin did- Bieber's racism is evil, <laughs> emerged merge that just dropped, the new Marx, Marx 2.0 is Justin no. Bieber's racism is bad merge. <laughs> Like, this is just shit that's like, yeah, this is obvious. We need to move beyond that
0: because the connection between racism is bad. The imminent fall of American empire, the connection between these two things is not obvious. It requires learning and it requires... (laughs) Engagement with the plethora of theorists and theory that gives you the frameworks to analyze the world, not the actual news or media. Like, theory is not news, it's not media, it's not,
1: it's much more long standing than that, I think. I agree because this is reminding me of conversations that I had like towards the end of summer, beginning of fall, like new people that I was talking about, and it was all about like how to be a better like social justice person, advocate, da da da, whatever. Theory is also important because now with it becoming popular, mainstream, not really it's very much the the like hollow hollowization that Lenin talks about in State mm-hmm. and Revolution, where like they'll take something that was once revolutionary and liberalism mm-hmm. will like make it a shell of what it once was. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of language that is supposed to be like anti capitalist or anti imperialist or against cops and policing is now kind of going through that hollowed out yeah hollonization um i don't know if that's a real word but Mm -hmm. anyways i was seeing that happen a lot but i could obviously tell that they hadn't actually engaged with theory like they hadn't actually engaged in text it's all Mm -hmm. like instagram infographic Mm -hmm. bullshit Mm -hmm. and i think theory is really important because even people who have what they think might be good intentions but are essentially, like, still liberal. Like, well-intended liberals that don't know better, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Like, it's, um... How can you I know better until started. you engage with the exactly. material that teaches you to exactly. know better? And so then, like, every time when I was frustrated, I was just like, well, if you, like, read what you actually are trying to critique, then you would have better critiques. I I wouldn't be able to catch you fumbling mm-hmm. as many times as I have If you actually engaged in the material that you think that you're extrapolating from, but you're not. Mm -hmm. And so I think, like, it's obviously not offensive or I don't mean it in an offending way to say you should read. Because, like, obviously I see that you have energy and you are recognizing from your own observations as an individual are seeing that these repeated like repeated police brutality and the way that the climate is going Uh downhill very quickly Uh are bad things and you want to clearly understand why they're happening and how can you get them to veer on a different course Uh and I think that that is why encouraging people to read is so important and I think people who make excuses for why they're not reading or don't want to or unable to Uh, very frustrating as Rose says like people say that they read things after listening to you YouTube or talk about it and it's getting on my nerves like if I hear someone talk about something that interests me then I will want to engage with the work that they are referencing in like that YouTube video or Mm -hmm. in that podcast Mm -hmm. so then like something that someone talks about can, like, point you in a direction c- to engage with something, and that's not a bad thing, obviously. Like, people on, on TikTok who show clear, like, access to a smartphone mm-hmm. and internet connection mm-hmm. and talk about going to a four-year university say that they do not have access to reading theory when org is free mm-hmm. and online and they're posting about it on TikTok. Don't They say me. that they don't, have, don't fucking or, laugh. they don't have the vocabulary <laughs> yeah. when... You go to a four-year university mm-hmm. and you're saying that the vocabulary and the language of theory is too high and mighty for you to understand or too complicated. It's you not. You probably have a philosophy <laughs> general education requirement. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you acting like mm-hmm. this isn't something that you yeah. can find someone to yeah. read with you, talk yeah. through it with you yeah. so that you can understand? Most
0: of the shit, it's like, you need a middle school level like reading comprehension Mm. level to to read fucking like stalin to like to read mao like you need maybe a fifth grade reading comprehension level and a lot of people have Mm. that i mean they don't act like it but a lot of people do have that
1: (laughs) don't make excuses don't lie to me just tell me just say that you're lazy and i think like also it's partly like a pride thing like i'll reread it with like read it if you have questions ask I just feel like there are... People just get very... Like, a wall goes up when you recommend reading or recommend reading theory. I don't know. I personally don't know where that comes from because I was one of the people that was, was like, looking for Mm -hmm. theory. Like, I I was done with liberalism and I needed something that would actually give answers or explain something. Um, And like Sunny said, like, your individual experience is not your collective experience. But if, like... Me on my own, not being from a capitalist family, obviously. Being black we are not experiencing misogyny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like no. Me, imagine like my uncle, Jeff be- <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Obviously, my individual experiences told me that things weren't looking great, but <laughs> it wasn't enough to like get where went, what needed to be done. I don't know how else to explain. Like like Yeah. Well, like you said if the material conditions of of a single person could radicalize people then everyone would be the revolution would have been done and gone before i even came to this earth it it would just look very differently
0: the other thing that people don't realize is that a lot of shit unpacking a lot of systems the thing is is that it will not benefit you a lot of the time it will like things that you will learn about the world will not always Be in your favor. I think that is part Mm -hmm. part of why people are afraid to approach it because they don't want, they want to maintain their victim status when it's like, (sighs) like everyone is a victim, but also everyone is an accomplice with it. Like if you live in this world, you will be victimized and you will victimize others. That's just how it is. And so, you know, you might as well just learn about it. I, Yeah. Anyway.
1: I think especially, like, coming from someone who, like, lives in the United States. Like, there's just exactly. no... And even though I didn't ask to be born here, like, yeah. it's not that I had a And that's here, the thing, like... It's just, mm-hmm. there's no way for my existence me growing up me living in the united states for this long to have no huge impact on so many other people in the world Mm -hmm. and so many people in like the native people in my community in the land places that i actually occupy there's no way that that isn't impacting people and i think for the united states and for a lot of people who are in like settler colonial nations like yeah but are also like struggling like still facing racism or, you know, poor or or whatever. Yeah. Poor or anything like that. It's still, you still have to recognize that like, you still live in this place, in Mm -hmm. this country. Like, like there is, you do have a connection to it. And so I think people want to maintain their separatism and see the United States as this invisible hand that's separated from the people who live here. When, that is not the case. Yeah. And I think grappling with that, understanding that, and actually looking towards the majority of the world who are not in settler colonial nations, who are not white, who are not American and don't have any, connect- any direct connection to our electoral politics. I think that it's important to, like, not uphold the theater of that mm-hmm. when it doesn't, like, that's not really what's happening yeah you know? yeah and
0: i t- i mean okay if you go on our twitter at the lavender pod uh i i so, well, some of our early, if you like if you word search on our account like um maybe like foundational text or just like text or something i have like a thread mm-hmm. with links with links to a lot of text that we're referencing um and a lot of things that i think are like necessary readings everything you know um everything from theory to other articles we've referred to on this podcast just things mm-hmm. that you know you can start off with the thing about being poor in the u.s is that you can be poor in the u.s but you will never face drone strikes or carpet bombs or the u.s military invading your country because you know unlike like unless the tanks are rolling through your streets like they were for you know a lot of St. Louis folks during the 2014 Ferguson uprising or if you like live on a native reservation if if you're not in an internal colony of the US you're uh, meaning like the ghettos the reservations the ve- like very condensed poor urban areas where – like, if you're – and that the majority of the people in in the U.S. are not, okay? Like, the majority of the people in the U.S. Mm-hmm. are not in those – in an internal colony of the U.S. Um, and unless you're in, like, Hawaii or Alaska. Like, you're uh, – the U.S. military will never have an effect on you in the way that the rest of the world at, that isn't the Imperial Corps can – at the drop of a hat can be – can face, right? Like the US can announce that it's going to war with any country and that country will be flattened in a month. It once you know people who are in countries that have been that have been militarily occupied and are being currently militarily occupied and you hear about people's experiences about how much they hate America because of what it has done to them and their families and how it has destroyed entire communities, cultures, livelihoods. It just, it just shows you the degree to which, like, you know, everyone is so indoctrinated by the worlds that we live in and by, of no choice of our own, how we were raised. So if you're so indoctrinated in that way, then you need to do a lot more of self-indoctrination to de- to even be be able to begin to deconstruct the stuff that's been programmed into you based off of just your mere existence. So, like, if you, like, if you can understand that we, you've been indoctrinated and you don't really know much about the material reality of the world, then to deny or vehemently oppose trying to learn more about it in a way that is directly engaging with frameworks and text that has led to the liberation of countless people around the world, it's disrespectful, it's disgusting, and I hate you. Um.
1: <laughs> but yeah, anyway... It's very dangerous, I think, for people in sett- settler colonial or imperial countries, any individual or any person to see themselves as neutral or to think that they can have a neutral or objective view of world politics and the way that the world works and think that they can come from that with that stance without any deep unlearning. To think it can go from an American public K-12 through education and come out and be able to understand And have an objective viewpoint on what's happening in Palestine right now, I think is a little bit insane. Yeah, (laughs) you are delusional to think (laughs) that 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 is something that you can do. Um, And unfortunately, that is something that I see a lot. Mm -hmm. People think like, I know I'm privileged and white and da da da, -da, but I still think that this this these are still my opinions on this without uh, any Mm -hmm. real work is a little bit insane. Especially if they're not talking about the very specific world that they operate. Mm-hmm. For example, the way, not not to uh, use this to segue into the second point or Taylor Swift, but Taylor Swift's feminist politics are very specific to yes. the way that women are treated in her specific music industry mm-hmm. field mm-hmm. and the way that, like, money is moved around, for example, with, like, Spotify royalties mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things like that and demanding for artists to get paid better. Like, that is how she talks about womanhood the misogyny Mm -hmm. that she faces in terms of like being in the public eye and being seen as public property in Mm -hmm. that very specific way Mm -hmm. obviously her takes can be informed by the life that she's lived because Mm -hmm. that is the world that she's talking about Mm -hmm. but if you have any interest in talking about systems of oppression at large or colonialism or policing Mm -hmm. whether the internal colonies that sonny was talking about Mm -hmm. such as like the very condensed specific areas within the united states or the way that the united states military can go to war with anyone for any reason at any time to understand that without theory or without doing the deep unlearning that is drilled into you i think Mm -hmm. is a little bit. It's unrealistic. It's yeah, unrealistic. It is. It for sure.
0: But yeah, to move on to the second take that Rose was talking about, I think all too well the original version, not the 10-minute version, I, th- I, I understand what you're saying by saying that it's, like, overhyped because I think that the original version, I understand why so many people connected to it and why it was, like, such a hit on the album, but... I do think there are better songs on the album. Obviously, when you were saying The Lucky One, I'm like, yeah, The Lucky One is, it's one of the best songs she's ever written, for mm-hmm. sure. It's so emotional in a way that is, it's like a grand storytelling situation that she ha- has shown. That's because
1: it's so The Seven Husbands. <laughs> it, it is. That's like the theme song. Like, yeah. if, on any, any Seven Husbands, Reveille and Hugo playlist, The Lucky One's, Will be on it. Oh, yeah. And for good reason. Yeah. I believe that probably Taylor Jenkins Reid was listening to The Lucky Ones while writing. <laughs> I think there's, there's many connections. I kind of agree because I did not think that All Too Well was like the it girl of the Taylor Swift discography. Like, for people who aren't Swifties, like people who don't listen to Taylor Swift, I would not have expected for All Too Well to be this, like, that song, but then I'm like every top Taylor Swift song and like every piece that I've ever written like or seen talking about her best songs, are the songs that like everyone knows, it's always on that list, and I would not have expected that, mm. especially for Red as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Red had so many fucking bangers. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. like hits
0: with a capital H. I mean, I think with the and with Rose's final take about like fan fiction. Like I think that queer mm-hmm. fan fiction very different from straight fan fiction for many reasons obviously, but I mean, me and my friends were talking about this the other day, but I think like the way that Wattpad works for like the way that porn works for young boys, like Wattpad works for young girls, right? Like by by the 5th grade. <laughs> no, 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 no. By like the 5th grade many mm-hmm. young boys have like porn addictions and we live in a patriarchal society. Mm. Like, it's it's really sick. It's really gross. But also part of... And that's part of their patriarchal indoctrination, the sexual domination of women. But for women, our sort of socialization and part of the media that we consume of putting us as objects is that when, we're, when we engage with, like, sexual stuff, a lot of women... Like, that's why the romance genre is dominated by women and consumed by women. Um, and we can see that even from, like, a lot of fan fiction about like, male-female relationships, a lot of it is very unhealthy in terms of the way that it portrays sex between men and women, I think. And, you know, for a lot of People, a lot of women talk about their experiences as young girls reading like really explicit fan fiction on like Wattpad or whatever about, you know, like men having sex with women. And it is really concerning because of the way that it's a part of our sexual awakening is those is those texts. It's that media, the media that shows us sex for the first time. For me, it was books. 100 it was books um and it was i mean less so fan fiction but just like romance novels and stuff and for a lot of boys it it's not you know and of course that that kind of shows another gender differentiation but part of media about romance uh and sex is that it is indoctrination it is an ex it, it gives us an expectation for what sex is supposed to look like and if a lot of explicit sex that's available on with fanfiction online is stuff where women are treated as objects like or treated in a way that's like really violent that's why we live in a world where it's so much easier for women to be like to you know ask their sexual partners to like choke them or spit on them or do like do degrading like objectively degrading acts to them than it is for them to ask for intimacy or respect in that relationship. It's easier because we've all been indoctrinated into a world where porn and erotica very much is about male domination of women and you know like I think it it works in that way but I think with queer fan fiction which is what like I got when I started reading fan fiction I was that was what I was like reading in general and I think a lot of people too a lot of like young LGBTs are also like reading a lot of like queer fanfic and stuff it I think it is similar to pulp fiction because in the 20th century and also pulp fiction sort of plays a role in the media that we we're going to be talking about later but like a lot of the pulp fiction that features queer storylines and romance were also not positive representations also not that great and I think fan fiction is that too it's not always that like the representation that you're seeing (laughs) in it is not awesome it's not (laughs) fantastic a lot of like I mean it doesn't recreate like I don't it doesn't necessarily have to recreate like patriarchal heterosexist like sex and stuff but it can very much lean into a lot of unhealthy or just weird or just degrading portrayals of like sex and relationships but you know it's just media and it's it's like casual more underground less less legit published forms of media and because of that people like it's just way more accessible and people engage with it a lot more than other forms of media and text
1: yeah it reminded me of the um strange (laughs) video that we watched together Lord knows how many times we've watched that yeah. YouTube video of um, Satan Was a Lesbian. Sunny, yeah. That was one of Sunny's comfort videos <laughs> for a hot minute, which means that inevitably at the end of <laughs> Lord knows how many hours of Zooming, Sunny would just put it on, share their screen, and then would fall asleep in the first <laughs> 45 seconds, in which I was three hours behind. I had to listen to the entirety of the, the, Satan Satan an episode or Satan was a lesbian video by Strange Man. while Sunny just snoozed comfortably. And because it was on Sunny's laptop, I couldn't pause, couldn't skip, couldn't turn it off. So I was just there. But anyway, I don't know how many times Sunny has actually heard. I have seen it many times. Um, but I like I definitely see how. Fan like with the like um increase of like technology how people who mm-hmm. would have been young pulp fiction writers turned to fan fiction you know mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. their outlet of something that's successful but I think also what's the one like media laws that was like if you do depict gay people then like they have to be like punished or dead yeah. by the end of it like yeah. it's like after it's like a name
0: I do remember I know what you're talking about but I really don't know what it's called <laughs>
1: I talk about it, like, all the time, and I cannot remember. But anyways, but anyways, like, because we're slightly not really post that a little bit, like, fan fictions, you can have, like, Comfort fan fictions or like mm-hmm. domestic. I always thought those were so boring. I never read those. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> you, can Fluff. Have, yeah you can have yeah. like queer stories that don't end with like, and one of them was like tragically murdered or like died yeah. in the most mm-hmm. sad, you know, depressing mm-hmm. way ever. So I think that in like, you know, we've kind of gotten a, a leg up in, in that regard. But I think just the comparison of like widely accessible, you know, not high literature writing. Yeah queer media that is like read you know Mm -hmm. that you can like share with people that you can keep in your back pocket one being a small book one being your phone yeah you know like I like I see I see the parallels yeah um but also now there's just for better or for worse more gay people on screen yeah yeah (laughs) so you know I think like there's also just more options like if Mm -hmm. you're gay and you wanted to read anything that was gay it had to be you know, a pulp novel mm-hmm. where everyone dies at the end. Be, yeah, yeah, everyone dies, or one was tricked by Satan, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> We're like, yeah. Now you know you can just pop on Sex Education on uh-huh. Netflix, or you know, yeah. Any anything else? I don't know why that's the first thing that came to mind, <laughs> but
0: yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for your submission, Rose. Um, did you want to read Juliana's? Um... Juliana's take. You mean Jordana's? Oh yeah, sorry. Jordana.
1: Which we're not even sure if we're pronouncing that. Jordana, if if you were listening, so sorry. It um, might be
0: Jordana. You're being Jordana. forcibly
1: <laughs> on a on a assized. We are on a we are honoring your name, if that's the, the
0: onification okay. of your name.
1: Mm-hmm. The email reads, Hello lovely lesbians. Hello. I was wondering if by any chance you'd be willing to discuss the split attraction model on the podcast and how it has harmed the LGBT community by perpetrating and identifying the colonial Christian notion that sex and romance are inherently separate. The, quote, split attraction model was developed by the Catholic Church in the 12th century and became the dominant ideology enforced through imperialism and colonialization. In the past decade, it has been embraced by chronically online Tumblr queers, a.k.a. people who self-identify as queer, even though they're the opposite of radical and many of them aren't even LGBT. (laughs) Read them. I love when our listeners just sneak in a little shade into their emails. It It does tickle me quite a bit. Anyways. And treated as fact. For example, identifying as heteroromantic bisexual, which I find deeply problematic and exploitative, as it is just internalized homophobia and inserts that it is acceptable to exploit other women slash non men for our bodies without any emotional supporting us, or without any way of emotionally supporting us, supposedly because it's someone's identity. Though history shows that non Christian cultures consider sex to be an intimate and romantic act. Tumblr queers have popularized the split attraction model in an effort to identify internalized homophobia. The other prominent issue of the split attraction model is in conversion therapy. The split attraction model also fits into the Tumblr queer stigmatization of sex based on the fundamental misunderstanding that our Christian-dominated society is sex-positive when, in reality, it is sex-exploitative. Sex is not celebrated or accepted in capitalism, far from it. Christian imperialism has led to the outright criminalization of gay sex, which imperialist nations turn to use to villainize the global South. It is exploited by profiting off of the sexualization of women's bodies, through the cishet male gaze. The now widespread antagonization of allosexuality by chronically online queers, especially cishets who claim to be LGBT, is demonstrative of a total lack of comprehension of the oppressive system being capitalism and right-wing Christian ideology, in favor of demonizing allosexuals and grouping LGBT who rightfully celebrate our sexuality in the face of criminalization with cis-het male gaze. Especially as a lesbian trans woman who does enjoy sex, I am tired of being antagonized and treated as an oppressor, including to cis people who de- who I do not have the power to oppress in the first place. I am also very concerned about how the split attraction model is enabling and validating internalized homophobia for young LGBT people people who are getting a lot of their information from online sources who perpetrate lesbophobic and ahistorical ideas like quote unquote by lesbians. I have a lot more to say on this, but I know I've gone on for quite already. I'd really love to hear your thoughts on this and of course, no pressure if not, with lots of lesbian love, Jordana. Thank you, Thank you so her. much. Thank you. Loved loved the email. It's giving um, my discussion post and my gender theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it
0: was a slay. Thank you. Uh,
1: yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, I think the
0: split attraction model is bullshit. And it, to try to categorize romantic mm-hmm. and sexual attraction into these neat separate categories is bullshit, I think. I, like, maybe people experience it in that way, but I don't really think that is necessarily a a system or a thing in the way that people want it to be it's just it's much neater than the reality of the world you know and like not to say that asexuality doesn't Mm -hmm. exist or that asexuals are not real because obviously there are people who don't want to have sex like that's normal and there are also people Mm -hmm. who want to have sex which is also normal Obviously, like, asexuality, it's valid, whatever, but also validity politics is stupid. But yeah. <laughs> second of all, I think when, like, asexuals are talking about being oppressed, I think if you are oppressed for being asexual, it's going to have to do with misogyny or homophobia, uh, once again. Like, I, and this is similar to our biphobia talking points, right? Like, if you mm-hmm. are oppressed by something, it's because of the material realities of patriarchy, and cis-heterosexism, like there's no other real way that you can be oppressed in a gendered manner, in a sexual manner. Come on now. It's weird to to frame other people who are Mm -hmm. oppressed by those systems as the oppressors um, due to inclusion or exclusion when that material reality just is not... Replicate that. It's not rooted in material reality, like whatsoever. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I must
1: admit, many moons ago, I did have my own small cancellation on Stan Twitter for saying that ace people are not inherently queer. <laughs> not your minor cancellation not, on like, ace Twitter. phobia Twitter. Yeah. Like, ace phobia as a thing is not an access of oppression yeah. in the same way that homophobia yeah. is, nor is it worse yeah. than homophobia, yeah. which for some reason was... The main point that someone oh no actually I remember what it was it was because I guess some actor got like canceled by the ace community because he's like virgin as like a way to make fun of his friend and everyone's like virgin is a slur against <laughs> ace people. What? like that's like a real thing he ended up posting like an apology thing like to the ace, to ace people? for using the word virgin because he didn't know You can't be fucking serious. To the ace community. And like everyone who's like has a brain was like (laughs) fucking virgin is not a slur against anyone, Mm -hmm. let alone the ace community. And so then that was my like thing because I think they're just like, yeah, it was. I was like, I don't think you know how like slurs come about. Like, Like the linguistic history formation that is necessary for something to become a slur. Like you're missing just because it's a word that you don't like or someone used to like make fun of you with in high school or whatever doesn't make it a fucking slur. I definitely had my own little tango with the split attraction model because for a while, too long, identified as like bisexual homo romantic. Obviously having having been exposed to the split attraction model, if without I'm assuming that I would have been forced to come to the realization that I was a lesbian, because what the fuck is bisexual homo <laughs> um, I Like, I'm pretty sure that means exactly what it means for me now, which is that I don't really have a strong genital preference. Some people, for whatever reason, care very strongly and heavily about the genitals of the people that they're attracted to, and that just has never been something mm-hmm. that has piqued my interest. <laughs> but for, I've always known that, like, I am gay yeah. any iteration in which I could express at any age before realizing that I was a lesbian I would use that language to yeah. express yeah. that and so I think that realizing that I don't I don't actually want to like date men or have a relationship with men hence me identifying as homoromantic because the only people that I saw myself having romantic feelings for were girls at the time because I was a girl as in, like, a child. But again, I think, like, when it comes to, like, asexuality, like, asexual people are valid and real. Like, I don't think that this but attraction model means that, like, if you're asexual, that means that you don't have any romantic feelings. But I think this also kind of gets into, like, what we think about Fleabag is, like, sex as, like, self-harm. I think the idea that it's, like, normal or that someone can have sexuality with people that don't care about them or you don't have romantic feelings for at all, I think it's, like, really dangerous to like perpetrate to think that women should or that it's normal for them to want to have sex with men who don't care about them romantically or emotionally Mm -hmm. I think is like a very dangerous thing to become mainstream Mm -hmm. it should be okay for people to associate sexuality with romance Mm -hmm. and that they are only interested in having sex with people who care about them and that they have a relationship with without that being seen as a form of, like, asexuality or mm-hmm. aromanticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, or, or to make it seem like... No, like, just being like, I would prefer to be physically vulnerable with people who I know care about me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, that's, like, normal. That's not an identity you
0: can have. That's not, like, a, a, set, like a niche LGBT identity. Like, no babes. That's called being a person. Like... <laughs> Mm-hmm. and like i've dated people who like identify as like on the asexual spectrum or like demi demiromantic or whatever and it's like the reason why you think this is because we live in a patriarchal mm-hmm. world where sex is seen as a violent act done towards women or or reproduction under capitalism it's not seen like that's not because mm-hmm. this is a marginalized identity or a niched identity or experience It's because of the world that we live in um, that has pathologized everything from gay sex to fucking women having emotions. (laughs) Like, that's that's the reality of the world we live in. Come
1: on now. I think that not being, like, super comfortable with the idea of, like, sex for someone means being like the sexual object of someone and then feeling like something is wrong with them sexually or romantically or not wrong but different from other people yeah have a different identity yeah is like I feel like that's like putting the blame on the people who don't want to be seen that Mm -hmm. way when like it shouldn't be and sex shouldn't I don't know if this is like a quote from someone or necessarily or I don't know where I heard this from but I remember it like stuck with me I mean it's very common but anyways I'm just gonna say it's like everything is about sex except sex which is about power which I know was Mm -hmm. quoted in a Janelle Monae song but I can't remember if it originated I don't think it originated from Mm -hmm. the song but it's true and that I think that like being uncomfortable or not feeling like you identify with the idea that one everything in our culture is sexualized and being uncomfortable with that is kind of normal. The way that capitalism sexualizes humans Mm -hmm. is not comfortable Mm -hmm. or shouldn't be seen as comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then the way that sex is conceptualized, especially heterosexual sex under capitalism as something that is violent or something that is about domination or something that is about power being done. Mm -hmm. Or like ownership even. Or feeling like that you would be much more comfortable having sex or participating in anything sexual with someone that you are romantically involved with i think is like normal and healthy precautions that should be more encouraged in the world that are not yeah um and it's not to like demonize casual like sex casual or casual sex in any way but i think that the way the excessive casual sex that is becoming more popular or that's becoming more representative mm-hmm. or that's seen as like sexual liberation for women is yeah. women's ability to have casual sex mm-hmm. or like framing birth control mm-hmm. as a way for women to have more casual sex i don't think is as a slay yeah. as yeah. as progressive as people think yeah. it is yeah. no and that's yeah. the the mm-hmm
0: the yes. having sex is not inherently liberatory D- having a lot of sex is not inherently mm-hmm. feminist <laughs> like th- this is
1: not i don't under- like and that's the thing i mean look at how many kids that like mormon families have yeah. come on now <laughs> like mormon families have so many uh-huh. kids which means that these parents are fucking a yeah. lot <laughs> like just biologically yeah. scientifically yeah. they have yeah. to be having a lot of sex to have these many kids that doesn't mean that any of these women are any more sexually liberated yeah, yeah. exactly or, like more in control of their yeah. bodies because they're having at least this amount of sex <laughs> and therefore making this right 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 let alone the amount of sex that does not lead to the yes. number of children it's not like they have a kid every time yeah. they have sex so, like <laughs> i think that alone should like show that like engaging with sex is like not inherently knowing your sexuality Mm -hmm. having control over your body or anything like that for sure yeah
0: and I do think that that's that is
1: the thing um and
0: what Jordana is kind of saying it's like this is the thing that many bitches do not understand Trans women are not oppressing anyone on the basis of gender or sexuality. Come on now. Lesbians are not oppressing anyone on the basis of gender or sexuality. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we don't have material power in this world to shame you for having sex or for Mm -hmm. being attracted to men or being a man. Like, that's just our own interpersonal shit. Like, we don't, this is not a replication of power structures at large. And you know, uh, it is weird that on the internet, y'all create this fictional universe in which people, <laughs> in which people operate as oppressors or victims mm-hmm. in situations that it simply doesn't apply. And I think everything that Jordana is saying is absolutely correct and true. Like, why stigmatize people who like to have sex, especially if they're queer and having? queer sex like guys that is that is much more punished Mm -hmm. than not having sex ever will be under capitalism and under exploitative economic systems the act of reproduction and like actually creating workers more workers is something that is essential to keep the cogs of the machine oiled rolling you know like Mm -hmm. so whether you are you know make like whether you are no longer able to reproduce by your own choice or because that's just how your body is or you choose not to or you're gay and you don't (laughs) like any of these like any of the many Mm -hmm. decisions or many identities or situations that you know would put one in a position of not being able to or not wanting to reproduce is going to be criminalized and culturally like looked down upon i'm i'm reading caliban and the witch by silvia silvia federici right now which is like a seminal marxist feminist text it's so good and one of the things that it talks about is how in medieval and then late like european early european christian times when they were creating the heretical sort of, like, list of things that people should, should not do. It, the whole gay sex thing became more of an issue as, like, especially after and, like, during the Black Death, where so many people died. And so, because so many people died, they're like, y'all need to make some fucking babies. And if you're doing stuff that doesn't, if you're having sex and you're not making babies uh, through your sex no 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 we can't have that like that's the that's the reason why a lot of these a lot of these and also mm-hmm. after the black death which is you know after like m- the medieval times that is when birth control and contraceptive and abortion was very much criminalized against and it also came that alongside the rise of like the the witch trials and stuff it has to do with
1: Bodily mm-hmm. autonomy
0: in terms of reproduction and women's bodies as capital, women's bodies as the ability to reproduce. Like that is sort that that is the key component here. Okay. So basically, in this text that this bishop wrote, it kind of talks about how um, it's like, have you done what some women are accustomed to do when they fornicate and wish to kill their offspring, uh, and you know their herb so that they kill or cut the embryo or if they have not yet conceived, contrive that they do not conceive. Um, It was stipulated that the guilty ones should do penance for 10 years, but it was also observed that, quote, it makes a big difference whether she is a poor little woman and and acted on account of the difficulty of feeding or whether she acted to conceal a crime of fornication. So that was like, like, that was the thing. The church was more, during the medieval times, the church was more going to be like, okay, whatever. Like, if you can't feed your kids, then if you don't want to have your baby then whatever like it was more about that as opposed to Mm -hmm. being like abortion is wrong which is what we see now today and basically the next paragraph after it says how things changed drastically however as soon as women's control over reproduction seemed to pose a threat to economic and social stability as it did in the aftermath of the demographic catastrophe produced by the black death and so like it then the rest of the book goes into talk about how like this is tied to the witch hunts and which was basically like a genocide of women throughout european history and how that's all tied to land labor capital all of these things which be applicable in our next hot take from henry and Henry says, hello to the best podcast. Hi, Henry. <laughs> I'm almost done with every episode, and I don't think you have an episode on it. Hi. But I'd love to hear you talk about sex work. If you do have an episode about it and I just miss it somehow, it'd be amazing if you could reply and tell me which one it is. We don't have an episode on this yet, so yeah, don't worry about it. Anyway, I feel like most people's analysis is quote, sex work is work, end quote, and it stops there. As someone who is friends with real-life sex workers, I truly believe sex work should be abolished. And I feel like I found the sentiment on Sunny's page. This is a tweet that prompted me to email y'all, and it was a link to a tweet from Tater Fexit. That's how I read her username in my mind. It's the username T A D E R F X T, and she is a trans woman, like who was a sex worker, prostitute, like had a pimp, like that's that's not an OnlyFans girl, okay? So, (laughs) I'll read the tweet that Henry linked after the rest of the um, email thank you so much for the podcast i love your content Mm -hmm. and i'm excited sunny has comments back on on tiktok thank you so much and i would be excited that my comments are back on on tiktok but i'm not because i'm i have to bully people but (laughs) (laughs) anyway so the tweet thread that henry linked us was SWERF has been stripped of its original ideological conception, describing a type of feminism that sees prostituted women as disposable and a setback to women's liberation. Now it's just used against anyone who opposes the global sex trade and commodification of women's bodies. It's used against feminists who are grounded in a dialectical and historical materialist analysis around prostitution and coerced sex selling. It is used to strip any kind of material analysis from being formed around the sex industry and is an ideological lapdog of liberalism. So that's what the user named Taterfegxit and I think her name's Ilha said, and yeah,
1: I mean, I think Henry is right. And I mean, banger yeah. banger takes on both. Yes, <laughs> both the tweet and the yes,
0: because Henry is right in saying that people's analysis being at sex workers work stops there. It's very interesting to me because people Mm -hmm. who say that I feel like are saying that in the same way that people say, Oh, theory is too hard to read in that it's a deflection of critical analysis and mm-hmm. thought. It's it's a way to avoid having to actually engage with hard shit, like having to really think about it. Like what Ilha mm-hmm. said, like the term SWERF being used against people that it doesn't really apply to. Because like to say that someone is a sex worker, SWERF means sex worker exclusionary radical feminism. That term is supposed to describe as a type of feminism that like, doesn't think prostituted women are women and, like, they don't need to be... And, like, the fact that prostitution exists is a setback to women's liberation. Like, that is the... uh, That's what a sex worker exclusionary type of feminism is. One that thinks feminism as... Th- th- thinks of sex workers as not included in feminism right it's exclusionary they don't think they don't think tr- sex workers should be a part of the feminist movement because they like mm-hmm. bring the feminist movement down or whatever when in reality it's like the existence of sex workers is kind of part of the reason why feminism should exist and does exist (laughs) like the literal commodification of sex the literal commodification of women's bodies that is literally why (laughs) feminism exists to oppose how women are objectified and commodified in the world and i think sex work prostitution is uh those are the height of the reality that we live in a patriarchal capitalistic world i don't know what do you think renaissance
1: I agree. I think that people who make the sex work is work argument are also like, oh, well, you sell your body to, like, I don't know, the your retail company or whatever employer you have. And although that is true to some extent, and that, like, if you're not a capitalist, like, you were just a body for them to make money off of and exploit. Yeah. However, the, like, interpersonal reality, the material reality... Yeah the medical risks Uh that are posed Uh um, are just so drastically different. And the level and the form of violence that you are vulnerable to as a real-life sex worker, not online sex work, Mm -hmm. like not people who, like, film their own adult Mm -hmm. films. I don't know what does and doesn't get flagged on on Spotify.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All our shit is explicit, so Um, come on
1: now. You know, people who film themselves Mm -hmm. with people that they – want to have sex with yeah. you know or, yeah. or people who
0: do like webcam or, or, yeah, yeah, yeah
1: safe apartment mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah like cam girls and stuff like that um you know but people who do like in person mm-hmm. physical sex mm-hmm. sex work um or like out in public yeah you know in not safe spaces yes it is work but like it shouldn't be Uh and although like work under all work under capitalism like shouldn't be the work that exists that like really shouldn't exist and I feel like it's just a heightened like it's a emphasized and heightened like extreme exploitation like the height of exploitation the height of misogyny the height of you know objectification and and particularly like men's domination and patriarchal domination especially like sex workers that work for like who have like a pimp mm-hmm. or someone like that mm-hmm. um and i think like if anything because sex work exists and sex trafficking in the sex trade exists as it does today that should be why more feminists are marxist feminists mm-hmm. and why more feminists actually are against the type of Exploitation mm-hmm. that exists in the world, not just yeah, for their own selfish reasons of them wanting to get paid more in their shitty job or you know yeah things like that like yeah the sex work as it exists currently should be why more people are nervous about the way technology yeah. is yeah. moving and quote unquote progressing mm-hmm. and why. People who become engineers should take more humanities classes yeah. because why are you programming things that are just going to further objectify women's bodies mm-hmm. um and things mm-hmm. like that? I'm very much for the abolition of sex yeah. work, but not because I'm like a puritist, mm-hmm. but because like it is the highest form of objectification, exploitation, yeah. and misogyny yeah, for sure. I mean, also
0: people will criticize people who oppose sex work as like an institution. Again with like calling them swerfs and whatever, but also by saying that they're kind of using the rhetoric mm-hmm. of like, Oh, if you're not a sex worker then you shouldn't talk about this or of like you're using the same rhetoric of like hate the sin, not the sinner, or whatever. And it's like, guys, this is so <laughs> this is so fucking ridiculous. But the thing is, is that
1: rich people like don't go into sex work for that reason or like Or when... if they do, it's it's Who going to be like, much that, like, safer joined OnlyFans yeah. and like Bella basically Thorne. ruined it yeah. for
0: yeah. yeah like rich if rich people do get inv- yeah like, it was like I, okay mm-hmm. but like you don't have to do sex yeah. work yeah that talking point also very much centers people in the imperial core because guys most prostitutes mm-hmm. globally um and also throughout history have been extremely poor women who had nothing else to sell didn't have the education mm-hmm. to be a productive laborer, like did not have the background or family support to do anything else. It is a last resort for most women in the world. And also it is like prostitution as an industry and as a thing that exists is also due to imperialism in that it's like sex tourism is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And it also, it's about war. Comfort women during the Korean War, the fact that brothels get set up around every single place that there is a military like military um installation of like of the US Army anywhere. Like, there's a reason for that. Because war is connected to the exploitation of women's bodies. And to kind of argue that people have choices under patriarchal capitalism is very it's so like disrespectful and dehumanizing. And I think when people think that people who oppose the sex trade are are dehumanizing sex workers it's like do you not understand that supporting the the global industry that is prostitution is actually what is dehumanizing like that is actually what is perpetuating danger i mean i do think that there's fair criticisms to be Mm -hmm. held against radical feminists who have collaborated with white supremacists and republicans to create laws that harm sex workers and stuff but I don't, And I don't think that any laws under a capitalist bourgeois state is going to help sex, whether it's legalization, decriminalization, or further criminalization. Any of these things, none of these things help anyone. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this, that's the thing about laws under bourgeois democracy. None of these things are designed to help the people who are oppressed, because the state itself is designed to oppress the workers.
1: Like, mm-hmm. come on now. The legalization of sex work would just be to further... Perpetrate like sex work as something that is like readily available for the people who want to exploit people, not because it would be to decriminalize or like liberate women and the people, yeah, and liberate the people that like, yeah, are the actual victims Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. sex work and prostitution. Think about the
0: legalization of weed drug dealers are still in prison, the industrialization Mm -hmm. of like the creation of an industry around illegal goods or legal services is not good. It's not good. It's never good. And even if we look at countries where prostitution or areas that where prostitution is legal and there are legal brothels, those places are also go go under heavy scrutiny every couple years for traf- for like trafficking or abuse or because there's a specific type of sexual exploitation involved in brothels. And the type of customer the type of john the type of patron that goes to that seek services from prostitutes why are you defending those people why do you think that those men because it's primarily men why do you think those men are worth defending in any meaningful way um It just does not make any sense. I mean, I still think, I mean, the rhetoric that people are like selling their bodies is bullshit because everyone is selling their body. Um, But I think like not everyone is exchanging sexual Mm -hmm. services for money, not everyone is having sex to get to eat. Not everyone is having sex with a bunch of different people to eat. Like, that's the thing about prostitution that's so different yeah. from, for example, like marriage or something where, you know, also I think like liberal feminists will argue that like dating is like sex work or like, or like ha- being married to a man who provides for you as sex work or whatever. And it's like, that's, no, it's not. No, it's not. There's a very specific reality it's of the world so that you're trying to generalize. Exactly. It's
1: so different. I mean, like there are abusive relationships Mm -hmm. obviously in abusive marriages where like financial control is yeah is yeah and financial control is an aspect of that but like that does not negate or equate itself to sex trade and sex trafficking as it exists but also is because women's bodies are objectified Mm -hmm. like in general and there's like cultural grooming Mm -hmm. that like girls in high school are taught that if you can't afford to go to college, just get a sugar daddy mm. or, you know, to pay your tuition. Mm-hmm. Shiva baby also touches mm-hmm. on this because Emma went to NYU where there were a lot of sugar babies mm-hmm. and recognized that aspect of the world around her, which again does like center the imperial core because like, that's just not the way most that people get, a, get around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just not how it yeah. works for most of the world. But like, mm-hmm. I think that that's like, again because there is like a thing where well if you can't get a job just become a stripper mm. because and that's like a joke a lot of yeah. money yeah and that's a joke it's like well if i can't do this then i'll just become a stripper or if i can't do this then i'll it's just like, like get an only first of all stripping actually, and like, having
0: an only fans it's hard it's fucking hard like
1: it's really difficult mm-hmm. um and it <laughs> and to have an only fans anyone who has a successful only they say like you can't have a successful OnlyFans and keep it hidden from yeah, anyone in your yeah. life because you have to yeah. promote it. If a reason why you can't get an OnlyFans or wouldn't be able to is because you don't want whoever in your life to know, like, that is impossible. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's the other thing is that if you are unwilling to advertise yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> for in, in, in any other sphere, like online, you have to Advertise, and if that has any type of pushback or change in your life, you have to deal with that. And becoming a stripper in real life, the act again, the interpersonal violence Mm -hmm. and the certain dangers and health risks that Mm -hmm. come from interacting with people, even if it's not like prostitution, Mm -hmm. you're still with the men who attend strip clubs, which aren't like great dudes. Come on now, (laughs) great dudes, and also
0: like like, dancing
1: and like. uh again there's like this kind of like cultural of like just sexualize your Mm -hmm. body to get by Mm -hmm. if you need Mm to but i think like shouldn't we just be like working against these things (laughs) instead of being encouraging it if i can Mm -hmm. afford dinner one night go and pick up you know first date on tinder like i feel like there should just be other conversations yeah for sure but and i also think like that's the
0: thing like when if you're a stripper like first of all that takes a lot of physical not not just to say like physical fortitude and also like Mm -hmm. there's so many ways that you can get hurt stripping or like dancing that you can't get hurt in the same way anywhere else like there's so many people who have gotten like mm-hmm. severe injuries from that shit. And also just in prostitution, you will be injured in ways that you will not be injured any other way. Like even if you're working like construction or something like that, like it's just not, it's just never going to be the same, especially in areas of your body that are so delicate. Like your genitals are such a delicate area of your body. It's it's so easy to like g- give yourself permanent damage when you have unsafe sex. And the thing about people who are paying you to have sex with you is that, They don't care about your safety and they truly think that they are buying your body. That's why I also think the rhetoric of like, oh, someone's buying someone else's body is also really harmful because you're playing directly into what johns like think that they're doing which is like that's that's not at all true and i also think like there are a lot of women Mm. i think radical feminists i'm not one (laughs) um like i think but i do think that radical feminists and marxist feminists and people who oppose the sex trade from a feminist standpoint not a like right-wing conservative standpoint get a lot of hate for supposedly hating on sex workers even if we aren't and even if we have a lot of empathy and support for sex workers we'll get more shamed for being anti-sex worker than the real life people who just hold anti-sex worker sentiment, anti-prostitute se- sentiment in themselves, in every in every interaction. Mm. Like, something that's really, a TikTok trend that's really popular right now is, like, that sound that's like, these bitches aren't scamming or something like that. And it's about people who, like, girls who work at Hooters or whatever talking about yeah. how, like, their coworkers are getting a lot of money through, like, exchanging sexual favors for money. And, and, like, a lot of times I think that the person who's creating that content, it's, like, very clear that they don't think that that is good or moral. And it's, like, I think that that is the type of cultural sentiment that Mm. needs to be combated against because that's much more mainstream than marxist and radical feminist takes on sex work we are in the small minority of people who don't think sex workers are evil or bad don't think sex work is objectively morally wrong don't think poorly of prostitutes whatsoever but also don't think that the industry should exist that is a very small minority of the population Mm -hmm. most people and most women think prostitutes and sex workers are disgusting and hate them because we live in a patriarchal society where where women who are objectified are looked down upon even like pop stars who who are objectified are looked down upon by women like oh she's just like she just makes money off of being like sexual or whatever and I think that another cultural response to that is like oh you're just saying that because you're jealous because you can't do that and it's like no, I, I I, mean, I do think some women have jealousy and have a complex about competing with other women. But that's the thing. Like, we live in a misogynistic world. Everyone is jealous of other women. Everyone is misogynistic. Everyone hates other women. But there's this very specific type of hatred for sex workers and for prostitutes because their sexuality is seen as up for grabs for anyone who has money. And most women know that their boyfriends and their husbands have money. And it kind of forces them to contend with the fact that they are ultimately sexual objects for men whether they're in the sex trade or not like and i think that you know that is really uncomfortable for a lot of women and it really makes them have to cope with their internalized misogyny in a way that nothing else really does which makes sense to think that like that's which which considering this reality it makes sense to think that there are liberal feminists who who out oh sex workers work and like oh i like love sex workers or whatever but it's like that's the thing if you love sex workers and if you don't and if you think sex work is work then shouldn't you like listen to and there's also that whole thing about like oh listen to sex workers oh listen to black women oh listen to what listen to whatever category of people which is so Mm -hmm. i think ridiculous and such uh, it, it is a result of people being like rejecting theory and just thinking oh just listen to people's individual experiences it's like no because the reality is is that like statistics show that over 90 percent of prostitutes don't want to be prostitutes like would do would choose any other profession and so if you actually cared about sex workers then wouldn't the goal be be about reducing the the harm that people face and eliminating the harm that people face and thus eliminating this position that one can take in the first place like and this is the other thing in a non-capitalist world Mm -hmm. in a world without money in a world without like class exploitation of workers work would still exist right production would still be necessary we would still need industry we still need people we still need global industries that create medicine create goods create industrialized services create like planes and trains and car like that would all still be necessary we need people to farm and give us food like there we need people who Mm -hmm. we need engineers to generate electricity there there are things that are necessary for a society to function in the globalized way that we have that we now live in and when the revolution comes these things will still be necessary but you know what won't be necessary the sexual exploitation of women in the household and in terms of like prostitution like this is the thing all types of labor all types of labor are productive or reproductive you're either educating the new a new you know set of workers so children you're raising children or you're creating children or you are taking care of children, or you are a uh, a, ch- um, a grown adult doing work in the world, doing productive work. You know, making food, making goods, make doing services. Do like those are the two types of work in the world, in any world, whether it's a, an exploitative one or a non-exploitative one. There will be there will be people who need to do productive and reproductive labor. But you know what sex work is? Neither of those things. It doesn't. It, there's no reproduction involved that's not the intention um and there's also no production involved there's no there's no creation of anything in this in this reality like and i think sex work as a thing will be abolished in the same process of creating socialism of abolishing currency you wouldn't need to go exchange money for mm-hmm. things that were that were pre-capitalism or pre-colonialism historically just like like people would just take care of other people's kids if they needed someone to take care of their kids you wouldn't like pay a babysitter like people yeah. would just if you needed someone to make you a meal, they would just make you a meal. Like, come on. Like, and if you wanted to have sex with someone, you would just find someone who wanted to have sex with you. Like, a lot of these things are, were just things that it's normal to social human relations. What is an abnormal to human social relationships is capitalism, is money, is this idea of ownership. That is what is abnormal not the actual act itself it's normal to have sex it's normal to give people gifts Mm -hmm. it's normal to take care of other people's kids it's normal to eat other people's food what's not normal is to break everything up into currency and to commodify every little thing that is what's not normal i
1: think the argument that like sex work is work and like the conversation stopping there and People not being like thinking about it, like people who, who are not Marxist feminists mm-hmm. um, who just say like sex workers work in like a liberal way also are like conflating how people conflate like their job with their identity, like mm. how you are, mm-hmm. what you do. Yeah. And so then, when people are like, "Yes, sex workers work," but I'm against the sex industry, liberals or people who conflate work with identity are like, "Oh, so you're against like the human being sex worker? Mm -hmm. You don't want them to exist?" Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, I don't want this sex industry, like the way that it exists now, to exist. The people that are doing these acts, the people that are actually victimized by this system, are not bad people. Mm -hmm. Like they're not. Everyone's just trying to survive come on yeah yeah especially because in that so many of these people were coerced or kidnapped or didn't have any other option Mm -hmm. didn't have any other way to feed themselves Mm -hmm. to house themselves anything else so they are obviously not the the number one thing that I have beef with when I say that I'm for the abolition of sex Mm -hmm. work and it's not because I want sex workers Mm -hmm. the human beings to just be like rid of society Mm -hmm. in some like bad mm-hmm. way but rid of society and that like after the revolution there will not be sex mm-hmm. work people will just be able to have normal human consensual mm-hmm. sexual relationships mm-hmm. with each other and it will not be used as a way to have power over someone or else yeah or housing yeah
0: i think a lot of people need to read some alexandra colin tie
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, i think y'all need to read prostitution <laughs> and ways of fighting it by Alexandra Kollontai. Yeah. Yes. So that's available on marxist.org and that's really necessary reading. And you should definitely contextualize it within the history of the Soviet Union. Like they're trying to build socialism. They're trying to end exploitation, worker exploitation, racial exploitation, and gendered exploitation. Um, and what is the process of building that? Mm-hmm. How do we How do we go about doing that? And that the the question of prostitution was absolutely ultimately brought up because if you think about it, like the people who are selling sex poor working class women who don't really have anything else, who can't really do anything else, or under socialism, it's like they didn't really want to be involved in a production in the economic sense, like creating stuff for society, because it, would, mm-hmm. it just seemed harder than, like, sex work. But also, like, the people who are buying sex are... People who have extra cash, people who have extra money on them. So it's capitalist men and like poor women. That's usually the relationship. Or if it's work, like men who are workers whose time and energy is sucked up through work and not, and it's like not trying to pursue a romantic and sexual relationship with someone. Is, is also a lot of work. Like, it's it also takes up a lot of time and energy, mm-hmm. So which is, wh- like, why prostitution is even, like, a thing. But also, in Caliban and the Witch, in the section called All the World Needs a Jolt, she kind of explains how the development of capitalism from feudalism was not necessarily inevitable like it could have been feudalism to communism but it wasn't and here's why one of the reasons that she kind of proposes and explains Mm -hmm. is that when the peasants were revolting against their landlords against the lords the workers were like fuck this conditions are getting worse and worse for us we can't take this anymore we're revolting we're not doing your work and we're burning your shit down and whatever right like revolution was happening but what ended up happening was that serfs were replaced by free farmers and then on page 47 She says, However, by the end of the 15th century, a counter-revolution to that workers' revolution was coming about. So first, efforts were made by the political authorities to co-opt the youngest and most rebellious male workers by means of a vicious cruel politics that gave them access to free sex and turned class antagonism into an antagonism against proletarian women. The municipal authorities' constant warnings for rape, practically decriminalized rape, provided the victims were women of the lower class. In 14th century Venice, the rape of an unmarried proletarian woman, rarely called for more than a slap on the wrist, even in the frequent case in which it involved a group assault. The same was true in most French cities. Here, the gang rape of proletarian women became a common practice, which the perpetrators would carry out openly and loudly at night, and groups of 2 to 15 breaking into their victims' homes or dragging their victims through the streets without any attempt to hide or disguise themselves. Those who engaged in these, quote, sports were young journeymen or domestic servants and the penniless sons of well-to-do farmers, while the women targeted were poor girls, working as maids or washerwomen, of whom it was rumored that they were, quote, kept by their masters. On average, half of the town's male youth at some point engaged in these assaults, which Rousseau, a French philosopher, describes as a form of class protest, a mean for proletarian men who were forced to postpone marriage for many years because of their economic conditions to get back, quote, their own and take revenge against the rich. But the results were destructive for all workers as the state-backed raping of poor women undermined the class solidarity that had been achieved in the anti-feudal struggle. Not surprisingly, the authorities viewed the disturbances caused by such policy as a small price to pay in exchange for a lessening of social tensions and the the belief that if the poor gained the upper hand they would take their wives and hold them in common so basically like proletarian women were sacrificed by masters and servants alike and you know these women who were raped would their reputations would be destroyed they would have to leave town or become prostitutes and that was the other thing like this is this is where we see the heightening of misogyny this state-backed allowance of rape in the 14th, 15th centuries in Europe, you know, as a counter-revolution to class struggle. And also like on page 49, another aspect of the divisive sexual politics that the princes and municipal authorities pursued to defuse workers' protests was the institutionalization of prostitution implemented through the opening of municipal brothels. State managed prostitution was seen as a useful remedy for the turbulence of proletarian youth who could enjoy a privilege previously reserved for older men. The municipal brothel was considered a remedy against Against homosexuality, which in several European towns was widely and publicly practiced, but in the aftermath of the Black Death was beginning to be feared as a cause of depopulation. So between 1350 and 1450, publicly managed tax finance brothels were opened in every town and village in Italy and France, a number far superior to those reached in the 19th century. Prostitutes could now solicit their clients in every part of town, even in front of the church during mass. They were no longer bound to any sort of particular dress code or the wearing of distinguishing marks because prostitution was officially recognized as a public service. Even the church came to see prostitution as a legitimate activity. The state managed brothel was believed to provide an antidote to the orgiastic sexual practices of the heretic sex and to be a remedy for sodomy as well as a means to protect family life." And like then she later goes on to say that This sexual new deal was part of a broader process which, in response to the intensification of social conflict, led to the centralization of the state as the only agent capable of confronting the generalization of the struggle and safeguarding the class relation. The state became the ultimate manager of class relations and the supervisor of the reproduction of labor power, a function it has continued to perform to this day. So that's, this, That's that. you heard it here. You heard it here from Sylvia Federici, right? Like the institutionalization of brothels of prostitution, mm-hmm. not a win for workers, not a win for women. It is actually in fact, a, a, another way for class conflict to and, and class struggle to be mitigated by the ruling authorities and also to create a further division, a gender division between men and women of the proletariat there's reasons there's policy there's history materialism that is really necessary in these conversations that a lot of people are fucking missing out on that's what i have to say about that that's what silvia federici has to say about that (laughs) what's the name of the book again caliban and the witch women the body and primitive accumulation by Sylvia federici very good book
1: i'm pretty sure you can find it for free online i have a pdf Um, so (laughs) amazing I, i would be very interested in in reading about that yeah
0: it's very good because it really does go through the history of feudalism to capitalism and then the process by which it came about and then also how women's bodies became part of like primitive accumulation and she also criticizes marx and Engels, and you know all the other like german philosophers in in the way that they like uh, using their analysis of class and material conditions but adding the like sort of gendered Mm -hmm. approach to it in which like women's bodies are also seen as a form of like capital mm-hmm. and capital reproduction in a way that Marx obviously hadn't considered because he is a man so like that's the type of criticism of Marxism mm-hmm. that is good um, like black Marxism feminist Marxism like not not your liberal bullshit of, of Karl Marx was a man so therefore we shouldn't he- listen to him like <laughs> that's the sh- shit that builds off of this <laughs> oh my shit. gosh
1: the way that I was fighting fighting for my- if you follow me on Twitter then you saw the tiny little saga that happened in the zoom chat of my class where I was defending Marx because they were trying to be like Marx is a white man so he didn't know anything and I'll have to figure everything out again on my own and I'm like like in a very anti-theory yeah Yeah, yeah, anti-material analysis way and I'm like you could just say that he has shortcomings because he didn't take into consideration the way that women's bodies are used. But instead you're just like, Marx has nothing to do with me. And it's like, okay, yeah. that's not yeah. true. I think it also shows that class is the primary mm-hmm. access of mm-hmm. oppression in the way that some people try to posit gender or yeah. race. But like women are used as collateral and as mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. as sacrifices to maintaining capitalism or to the division of classes mm-hmm. to like fend off class antagonism in the way that would lead to communist revolution yeah Yeah. always and socialist revolution yeah and
0: that's why the question of gender and the question of race must always be asked in marxist Mm -hmm. analysis the question of imperialism the question of colonialism the question Mm -hmm. of sexuality and gender
1: because these things are all fundamentally linked you know also like the idea that you can be a feminist without being Mm anti-imperialist or without Mm -hmm. being anti-racist mm-hmm. to think that you can separate these things mm-hmm. without talking about class at all mm-hmm. to think that you can identify as a feminist even though that has basically lost yeah. all meaning but the idea that you can be a feminist without having any consideration of the class system i think is like it's very wrong. bullshit yes and content and, and and it's very it's very easy to prove as wrong mm-hmm. as the quotes that sunny provided i think that also like sex work as it exists now obviously proves that class is very much the primary axis of oppression for people because if people were not in the condition that they were in, most of them would not be in sex work.
0: Class yeah. is the primary contradiction, always has been, always will be. Um, <laughs> and it's because in, mm-hmm. come on, in pre-colonial societies, class was still a thing, like for for many. Like in in society, like pre-capitalism, like during feudalism and even like before, like guys, class has always been what separates people's how people live more so than anything else. A woman in a high class position will have more in common with a man in a high class position than a woman in a low class position, always. Always, in terms of their lives and what their lives look like. That's why we're not radical feminists. It's absolutely delusional to believe that all women are united in a struggle against patriarchy when there are some women who, while they don't benefit from patriarchy, they benefit from capitalism, they benefit from imperialism, which are also upheld by the stilts of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. So we can go into our shared media uh section of this podcast today. We will be talking about Fleabag. Whoa, whoa. Woo-hoo. And then we'll also be talking about a young adult novel called Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe. Um, do you want to mm-hmm. talk about Fleabag first?
1: <laughs> I mean, when do I not want to talk about Fleabag? I it's one of my favorite shows. Wasn't
0: this your first um recommendation on this podcast like ever?
1: It was. <laughs> It was, and it was, I had, I remember, I had recommended it to you like before, pre the Lavender Menace. Yeah. You're like, I'm not gonna watch Fleabag. So many of my people, so many people in my life like Fleabag, and everyone tells me to watch it, and I'm not gonna watch it. <laughs> and lo and behold, look at look at where we have we have
0: found I know. ourselves. I have been put at digital gunpoint and and forced actually uh, against God. my will. You know, the beginning of movies where it's like where it's mm-hmm. like record scratch. How did we end up here? <laughs> it was li- yeah. <laughs> it was literally because on TikTok there's like this new trend. Of- well, okay, there's a trend of like using the Fleabag like sound, this sound that was like that's like I don't know one of the thematic songs of Fleabag to be like I'm in my Fleabag era and like a long okay. list of things, and then there was people criticizing it and there's this one video about like dissociative feminism that was when- that went around kind of talking about capitalism and feminism and how and like women's identity and how that's kind of seen in media like Fleabag. I made a video, I made a TikTok about how it's and also i've been seeing tiktoks go around i'm not the first person to think of this how people have been like it's so fucking annoying how women primarily have been being like oh my god i'm like so i'm i'm in my otessa Moshfeg, my of rest flea relaxation fleabag like era like i'm just like doing self-destructive mm-hmm. things and like having casual sex and also like just a horrible weird woman uh all this shit that's um, kind of become a more a cultural phenomenon of like being a weird girl in that way. That I also have criticisms of because mm-hmm. it just kind of shows the degree to which y'all have no fucking media literacy, no comprehension <laughs> skills, nothing. It's going all over your head because, guys, a lot of this media and a lot of this text that has a character that grapples with being a woman in society <laughs> like it's not an example it's not an example it's not something that's like quirky to relate to it is it's a tragic reality it's it's just sad like mm-hmm. that's it's sad that we live in a world where women have to drug themselves to sleep for a year because they hate themselves like is in the plot of my year of rest and relaxation or that pe- that women fuck a bunch of random dudes who are ugly like in flu bag like th- that's sad And that's not good. And you shouldn't be replicating that in your day-to-day lives because it's not funny or quirky or cool. You're not not like other girls. Mm -hmm. Men don't find that more attractive. You are a victim. You're a victim. (laughs) And it's not this media's fault either. It's not its fault for quote-unquote enabling this shit. It's your guys' fault for not being able to consume it in an intelligent way. Like there's no...
1: (laughs) Anyway, Mm -hmm. anyway. Phoebe Waller-Bridge was making observations and critiquing the things that she was critiquing in Fleabag or or creating like the character of Fleabag to like highlight or be, you know, to embody these like forms of womanhood that are destructive, but mm-hmm. also like encouraged. Mm-hmm. And the way that she writes Fleabag, she's a comedic writer. It is mm-hmm. like there are scenes that you're supposed to laugh at and mm-hmm. things like that, but she's not wrong or bad because people are... Not don't have media literacy yeah. or cannot understand Fleabag correctly. Fleabag serves to be a like satirical view yep. of this woman, and so for people to watch Fleabag, especially season one in Fleabag, because a lot of the people that are making these comments about being in their Fleabag era and talking about being awful are mm-hmm. completely disregarding. The plot of season two, mm-hmm. but the people who are watching Fleabag, and then internalizing that and tr- attempting to recreate it because there's no actual way that you could be like if you try <laughs> in, your be Fleabag Fleabag in your Fleabag like like it, like for five seconds, like you, it would just it would not. It's just not a real way that anyone could live. Like and that's not re- a challenge. Like, I mean, bitches. Fleabag works in the universe that she occupies like for a reason you're just not understanding and that's not phoebe's fault she said what she said very well and artistically and that shows in the flowers that she got and the people who can watch fleabag correctly get it like the girls who get it get it the girls who don't don't but the problem is is that a lot of the girls don't and they're very loud very loud and wrong because the fleabag community was prospering on our own very successfully, we understood what was happening. No one was a flea, being in your Fleabag era used to mean that you were just watching Fleabag. <laughs> like it didn't mean that, that was once again like your favorite show at the time. Like when I used to say that I was in my Fleabag era, that just meant that that was once again the main show that I was watching. <laughs> like I was thinking about it again. It didn't mean that I was trying to mirror the actions and behavior of yeah. the character Fleabag that would be insane (laughs) which is what you guys are like going up but i think i just i love fleabag i love british sitcoms This is not the first time that this has come up on the podcast i love phoebe waller bridge also just the journey fleabag was a one woman show and it was like 10 minutes long and it like she did it on like a dare at the, the edinburgh festival i think and then it was like well received. So then she like made it into a whole like the flea bag at um the National Theater, which I think you can rent. I've seen it. It's very good. Then she got a deal with BBC. I think it was on yeah, BBC and then Amazon Prime yeah. to make season one. Mm-hmm. And then there wasn't even the intention. Like it was just supposed to be season one. And then mm-hmm. it was like super successful. And she's like, No no I'm not gonna do season two. But like she still had like flea bag like in her. Like mm-hmm. it like There's just more to tell. And then we got season two, which was like completely original content, like not related to the original one woman show, Mm -hmm. not was like foreseen when making season one. It was like completely Mm -hmm. original. And then it was at the end of season two that she said that like she felt like Fleabag, release from Mm -hmm. her body, which is why we genuinely are not getting more of Fleabag after season Mm -hmm. two, which I think is a good thing as well. I'm not against that. And also it's perfect as it is. It is. It's Amazing. And I think, like, just the ending of the story, like, where we leave her is so different than where we leave her in season one. Like, Mm -hmm. where we leave her at the end of season one is so sad. Sad. So tragic. Mm -hmm. Her relationship with the fourth wall and the way that it's utilized, and it's not really specified. Like, some people theorize that the third wall is God. Some people theorize that the third wall, or the fourth wall, I mean, is the audience that she's, like, supposed to be looking at you watching her. There's some that people that theorize that it's, like, her conscience and all, the, all these different things. But either way, like, her relationship throughout it with season one is very compulsive. It's a very toxic relationship that she mm-hmm. has with her mm-hmm. observer, whoever you mm-hmm. perceive that person to be. And it's just, like, it's not good for... It's a crutch, mm-hmm. which is why in the, like, last episode... She says, bye. She says, leave me she alone. She says, bye. To the camera. And also when she is with, like, her sister and Martin in the like basement of the museum or whatever where the one exhibition was and she like flinches like she's trying to look away from the camera and the camera is always there and she's like trying to like hide away and she can't get away and it becomes very overwhelming and she's just like very much out of control in her life and then in season two in the beginning i think in the first episode when she has the um (laughs) therapy session That was a gift from her father. And the therapist asks, like, do you have any friends? And she's like, yeah, they're always there. They're always watching. And she, like, looks at the camera. Like, it's to hint at the fact that they're always there. But then, throughout season two, you see this glorious journey where she is finally able to live without the pressure and without the, like, desperate need of being observed. That's why she talks about, I think, even in, like, the first episode of season one, she doesn't even like sex. She likes the... Mm -hmm. what sex entails Mm -hmm. that her being observed her Mm -hmm. existence being validated in the act of having sex and then throughout season one you see how that kind of destroys her life and then in season two you watch her finally have freedom without the pressure of of observation I think that that's like very good (laughs) and Mm -hmm. should be understood Mm -hmm. more heavily than it is currently on all of these tiktok posts that are talking about being in their fleabag era because if you weren't in your fleabag era you wouldn't post about being in your fleabag era because <laughs> you'd be free of the pressures of constant observation but mm-hmm. because you are posting this for with the hopes of thousands of people to see that shows that you're not actually in your fleabag era
0: hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean i i remember seeing a tweet about how Bag is, like, one of the most optimistic pieces of media made by a woman. Um, like, media about women that's been made in, like, the 21st mm-hmm. century. And I think that's absolutely true. I, I think that season two is mm. very optimistic. We, we end season one with that pessimism, that doom. And season mm-hmm. two is all about, well, how do we pick ourselves up? And we see in the first episode, she's doing well. And before I ever watched Bag. I think there was this, like, maybe in 2016 or 2017. I saw this video essay by Isa de Leon on YouTube. the like, D E, Leon. I don't know whether she still has a channel, and I don't know whether that video is still up, but it was the video essay was called Fleabag and the Fourth Wall, I'm pretty sure. Years before I watched the show, because I watched it, what, two days ago? <laughs> I finished watching it like two days ago. I remember <laughs> watching that, and. Seeing how this, the fourth wall of the camera gets, you know, integrated into the show in this way. And I remember watching that video essay Mm -hmm. and how she zooms in on the fact that, you know, when she's having sex with the priest, she literally pushes away the camera. Whereas in all her other sex scenes, Mm -hmm. the camera is there because... She's doing that shit to be able to talk about it. She's She is talking to the audience because sex is about having an audience for her. But when she mm-hmm. actually finds true intimacy for the first time with someone who sees her go away like the like hot priest is like where'd you go whenever she goes and speaks to the audience when she finally finds someone who like actually cares about her and connects with her on that level she needs to reject the fourth wall um and even in the last scene when when the priest leaves when the priest is like And she's like, you chose God, right? And he leaves her at the bus stop. She's ready to leave the camera too. Her unhealthy, toxic, dependent relationship on us as the viewers ends in the same way that the priest's unhealthy Mm. relationship with her ends. So he leaves her and she leaves us. And that is Mm. the happy ending. (laughs) That's the optimism of season two. That, you know, endings come and new beginnings can happen. And they can be good, and we also see that through Claire leaving her husband and running after Claire.
1: Finally, oh my gosh! Every I time Martin, Martin comes on
0: stage, or I mean, on the on the camera, I'm like, if you
1: don't kill yourself right now, like <laughs> mm-hmm. if if Fleabag does not beat the fuck no, out of you which, right now, which is like. It is such a sign of like a good villain. Like, the actor plays Martin so well because you want to punch him in the face so bad. (laughs) If the actor fucked up Martin, so much of the story would not be able to hold. Like, if you didn't believe Martin to be Mm -hmm. like a human being, like if he was like comically evil, it wouldn't work. And if the actor was any less talented, it wouldn't work. Martin had to be played and written in such a specific way that it's done very successfully on this show to the point that it does make your skin crawl when you see him but Mm -hmm. like in a way that it needs to crawl when you see Mm -hmm. him
0: i mean i think with the whole the 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 fan theories around the fourth wall and stuff i'm less i'm not as interested in Mm -hmm. think in in that because it's it's television like she's playing with the medium in an interesting way but i'm interested in how if you're going to internalize fleabag or if you relate to fleabag in any way which i think most people do because she does the thing that Otessa Moshfegh also does in her writing in which she portrays womanhood as this experience that is deeply and viscerally gross. Like it is something that is uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but it's uncomfortable in a way that is human and real. Something that's unique to Fleabag is how we as the audience, like it parallels our, our relationship to like social media and like our phones and our relationship to the internet in which our quippy Mm -hmm. like side observations about the world around us is you know publicly viewed on on twitter or on instagram or you know our thoughts about things that are in a side and also a result of our real life that is what our fourth wall is our fourth wall in our day-to-day lives is our interaction with social media I think and obviously that's not how it is for Fleabag in the show she's not taking out her phone and tweeting about something when she's in the middle of it she's turning to us and telling us her thoughts but I think for mm. us what uh, our version of that is social media we present ourselves to ourselves and thus to other people as a version of ourselves that is true but also like funnier and more observant than the reality of who we are in our day to day lives <laughs> And that's what our relationship to social media is parallel to Fleabag's relationship to the fourth wall, I think. And the fact that these people on TikTok are making videos about how they're in their hashtag Fleabag era and why. You're missing the point, love. Yeah, you're in your Fleabag era because you're telling us that you're in your, you're telling us this as a way of like humorously showcasing the way that your life has gone to shit and I understand why you have the mm-hmm. intention or you have the desire to do that for the same reasons that I understand why Fleabag has the intention and desire to speak to the fourth wall. But she also, as a character, ends up getting better, becoming healed, being a better person, where in which she doesn't need to rely on that shit anymore. It's not a crutch the way that social media for a lot of us is a crutch for our identities and for ourselves and for our own peace of mind. Mm-hmm. And when she is in the middle of an extremely emotional monologue or scene, she doesn't do her quippy fourth wall breaking situation. She is fully in the moment. She doesn't have any little asides to say because when you're actually living your life in that way, in a really deeply meaningful way, you don't need to reflect on things in a jokey manner that allows you to digest your reality in a humorous way. You don't need to do that. You're healthy. No, we we will <laughs> we will be healthy once we stop using Twitter, but that's never going to happen. So, we're not in our flea bag era. Okay, do you want to talk about last night at the Telegraph Club now? Yeah. So, last night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe, just to give you a quick summary, it's set in the 50s within mm-hmm. the context of the red scare. It's right around like, you know, that McCarthyism slay or not slay and <laughs> <we're-> <laughs> <laughs> Ha ha ha. When you've slayed, <laughs> slayed too close to the sun, <laughs> you get McCarthyism. <laughs> yeah, we're following this 17 year old Chinese American girl in San Francisco, Chinatown. And she goes to a public high school. She is your average American girl by Mitsuki. She, or best American girl by Mitsuki, mm-hmm. wants to be mm-hmm. a STEM bay. She wants to, like, be a fucking astronaut, some type, type B, right? Like, because, you know, space race, like, like she's interested in mm-hmm. rocket ships and shit. And so she's in like advanced math classes, she's involved in the Chinese American community. Her dad I think is a doctor at a at like the Chinese American clinic in Chinatown and her mom is a nurse, I believe. And she has two younger brothers or a younger brother or something. Her mm-hmm. name's Lily, Lily Hu and yeah, she's very sunny-coated, <laughs> and she's also a femme lesbian. She doesn't really know that yet, but she will. And that's mm-hmm. sort of the progress of the story, because eventually she ends up going to this yeah. bar, or this club called the Telegraph Club, which is a lesbian bar that does, like, drag king performances. And she sees a advertisement for it. And this girl in her class says that she's also been. The girl in her class is named Kath, and she's Italian. And they develop this little, cute little relationship. And then they also go to the Telegraph Club, and Lily sneaks out to go, you know, hang out with some lesbians. And there's a, it's, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a cute little sleigh. It's a young adult novel. It's historical fiction, and I have a physical copy with me. I, it is like 400-ish pages long. The author is Chinese and a lesbian, I'm pretty sure. She lives in Massachusetts with her wife. Oh, I live in Massachusetts. I wish I had a wife. No. <laughs> She's written a lot of young adult... She's won a bunch of awards for young adult fiction. She's also written a lesbian retelling of Cinderella called Ash. That's the background of the book. Oh, it was published in 2021, I believe. What were your thoughts? I was the one who forced you to read this, so...
1: <laughs> You forced me to watch Fleabag, and I made you read this. So here's the thing. At 74% <laughs> before finishing, finished, because I, I listened to the last, because it really, the speed picks up very much towards the end. And I my first point was, overall, I did not like it until the ending. The ending made me like the entire book more. But up until the ending, I was like, mm. mm. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Oh, but however, a lot of that stemmed from... I don't like stories about teenagers. So it wasn't mm-hmm. a lot to do with the book of me thinking it's a bad book. It was, I was just like, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't, especially when, okay, spoilers ahead for the book kind of ish, but when Lily and Kath get together, get together and they won't <laughs> stop making out. I couldn't stand to listen to Lily's descriptions of her feelings and places and the sensations that she is feeling about all of this is happening. I was like, "Oh, stop it! Please stop it! Please!" Like I, I felt, I felt gross listening to it myself. I was just like. I couldn't, I couldn't do it, even though, like, I had a girlfriend in yeah. my senior year of high school. Like, I get it. Like, I'm not <laughs> judging. But, like, because I've been there, mm. I don't mm. need to listen to it again, okay? I have secretly made out in, like, a high school classroom, okay? Like, I don't need to listen to it played (laughs) narrated back to me like i I couldn't stand it i also didn't like it because i related to lily especially my senior year of high school i was very much like lily and the type of like anxiety that she has especially when she's like in such a cool apartment and like the club is so cool and she's like i'm nervous and i'm looking and i'm like oh my (laughs) up, relax like have fun for once in your goddamn life Mm -hmm. that's how i feel like now Mm -hmm. you know on this side of things but if like I was like oh I relate to her and so for the same reasons that I find my senior year self of high school <laughs> highly annoying like my high school self very annoying is the same reason that I found Lily uh-huh. insufferable as a narrator like I was like have some chutzpah for like oh my gosh like I can't and she's like I don't know if I'm who are all these p- women who are attracted to oh my gosh like if you don't <laughs> shut up for one moment please it was like, she's dressed like a man, but she wasn't a man. Was the- I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. I couldn't. One of my points is I hate reading about teenage horniness slash makeouts. That was a lot of it. I personally don't like YA as a writing style, but that I, I learned to cope with. It got better. I It was mainly when I got annoyed in that one scene where it's like the same metaphor twice like one about the end pages of a book being ripped out and Lily being confused and then using the movie metaphor three sentences later about missing an integral piece of a plot of a movie about why she's confused about conversation she's having with her parents And I'm like I get it you're confused you're confused and your parents are talking about you you're confused and you don't know the context of this conversation I get Uh it keep it pushing please but that was like really just one scene I didn't I didn't like that scene I mean I kind of get it Like, I get why it needed to be seen. Also, I just, I don't like it when non-Black people use the word Negro. Like, it's just something that I don't like. And it is used in this book. And, like, I get it, like, in the historical sense. But, like, that's when, like, things are, like, written from that period. When things are written about that period, I'd prefer it, that word not to be used. Which... In the endings, because, like, she also uses, like, outdated language to describe, like, Lily, or, like, the way that people talk to Lily. But, like, Melinda is Asian American, but, like, she's not Black. And in the ending, she talks about using outdated language, but doesn't talk about her use of Negro, only the use of the words that are used about Lily. And I was like, okay, but... I still don't like you use that word. But that could also just be my preference. She uses it like more than once. And I'm like, I don't know how necessary this is.
0: Yeah, um, I agree. I think her use of that word was interesting. I was also like, I don't know whether it would have been disrespectful. Like, it, like in the 50s, if someone called a black person black, would that have been rude or disrespectful? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Was that the language that people use in the 50s?
1: I don't think so but also like Lily like never like says it it's mostly like her internal dialogue of her like seeing people on the street because she's like talking about like especially when she like sneaks out she like catalogs like each individual person that she sees or when she like looks at the the like couples like the various couples that she's like Mm -hmm. noticing down the street so it's very like internalized which is why I feel like it would have been fine historically for Mm -hmm. the author to use the word black because it's not spoken and the way we're like the racist language that's used against lily Mm -hmm. is like characters Mm -hmm. like speaking towards her and that is probably more historically accurate even though i found that annoying like every new (laughs) white character that lily meets they ask if she speaks english To the point where it was, like, so repetitive. I was like, even if this did happen, there's no way that this happened, without a doubt, to every single white person that she met. And if it did, I'm like, God, that's so annoying. Because it was literally, like, every other day. Every other day, (laughs) Lily met a new person. And every time they asked. Does she? Like, as if she wasn't there does she speak english and i'm like this is comically racist like there's no way that these people uh-huh. lived in such close proximity to chinatown and never met one asian american who's who fucking is from san francisco as well like motherfucker yes lily speaks english like what the hell so i was like annoyed on behalf of lily for and and they you, melinda never writes lily to be like, as annoyed as I was about it. Like, yeah, Lily was like, um, there they go, asking me again. get, like, but it was so, like, this, I think this is the other thing is that for so much in the novel, yeah. Lily is so passive, which again, yeah. I relate to giving very me, but mm, because of mm. that, I don't like her. <laughs> I'm like, do yeah. something anything and it's not until the end where arguably it's too late that she Mm -hmm. really gets the guts to do anything but at that point she's being you know (laughs) booked and shipped off to live (laughs) with her aunt in Pasadena it's true you know so it's
0: like I also do remember one of the comments about race in there in in the book was about how like this one of the Chinese boys in her community There's like a whole scandal because he was dating a black girl from their high school, and how like everyone was shook. They were like, "No fucking way!" Uh I
1: was like, "For real? (laughs) For real?" Which I mean, like I don't. I I, listen. Like I can't (laughs) speak about the Asian American or the Chinese American experience, let alone what that would have looked like in the '50s. However, San Francisco has been a very diverse city for a while. I mean, sure, maybe the white people of San Francisco haven't historically been great, but, like, in terms of, like, Mm -hmm. multi-ethnic communities Mm -hmm. existing in the Bay Area, that's, like, pretty long-standing. So I'm not fully (laughs) sure why that would have been as shocking as it was presented in the book. Like, maybe i No, same, yeah. I was also like, Huh? But I'm like, surely enough, there had yeah. to have been multiple interracial couples. Yeah, I'm just not as shocking. It was like as if they were like exiled <laughs> from the community, like and he was never seen again. Like it was like, guys, isn't that serious? Like, okay. Oh, my God. No, yeah, I agree. I, I know, especially because I didn't think like the division between the Asian American community and the black community. I would like have been that, so like, extreme in 1954. The, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was, but Yeah. I feel like that was very much something that happened like post-civil
0: yeah, I mean, rights movement
1: yeah. and maybe in the 80s like as like a reactionary thing but I feel like at yeah. this time it wouldn't have looked yeah. exactly yeah. how it I was I mean portrayed. I think like I do I understand the qualms about
0: the writing style because I'm also not the biggest YA reader. Like Like I've said before I read all genres all audiences I read children's books and I read adult novels but i do think that the writing style inhibited this story for my enjoyment
1: i think i rated it like four stars mm-hmm. I, you rated it like th- to be fair i also rated it four stars so mm-hmm. before anyone well yeah. i would have given it a 3.5 if there was right. a half yeah, system like degrees, but i yeah. rounded it up to four yeah. stars very fair
0: i feel like the way that the story treats how lily realizes that she's gay and then like her her community like react and her family reacting to it and stuff i think that that was fairly Mm -hmm. fairly real and but okay what did you think about the about the flashback Mm -hmm. scenes with like lily's parents and her aunt and like their their perspective and stuff
1: not gonna lie quite disorienting for me like I don't I agree I didn't really internalize it like that just was not a serious plot yeah I just found it I remember there's one it's like a flashback scene but I think Lily's a kid and it's when like the first lady of China or something is coming to town yeah and she sees them and then I know there's one from like Lily's aunt's perspective I think Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm But I don't know. It it didn't really stick out. I was much more invested in Lily and Kath's relationship. And I feel like the flashback scenes would have worked more if they had a more direct connection to what was happening in the plot rather than them just being the adults in the story. Yeah,
0: yeah. It would have made more sense if it were a bit more integrated to the story.
1: If Lily's mom had a gay best friend who Mm -hmm. then came out and was exiled and so Mm -hmm. that's why she's nervous about Lily being gay because Mm -hmm. like she doesn't want Lily to face the same repercussions that Mm -hmm. like someone else in her community did then like then I would understand why we had the flashback of the mom's perspective right yeah you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and for a moment I thought the aunt was going to be that like she was a closeted sapphic or mm-hmm. lesbian of some sort mm-hmm. you know and so then then when like there was the ending scene where lily comes out to her mom and her mom was like there's no gay people in this family right which i again like this on the last quarter which i thought was the not best in terms of like positive but like best part of the book in terms of like the yeah like most stuff. compelling portion yeah. of the book yeah so like when that happened i thought then like because of like the ants the reveal yeah yeah the like the gag of the season was gonna be like the whole gay ant <laughs> like I was ready yeah. for yes. the gay Antrope and then it never came yeah and I was like I felt yeah. like that's kind of a missed opportunity if if I've been yeah. that I have any place yeah. to critique an award-winning author <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> my uh-huh. fairly literate ass yeah. if I had to have <laughs> a sorry. word or two <laughs> I would say making the aunt gay would have, especially with the way that the mom reacted and obviously how close like that kind of sister relationship was, I think, or was the aunt the mom's sister or the dad's sister? I think the mom's. Yeah. Either way, sisterly, intercommunal sister relationship, yeah. I think would have been an interesting, like, last minute
0: mm, roundabout, yeah. but... Yeah. Uh, on the back of the book there are a bunch of like reviews and stuff little quips and so and one of them is from the oprah Oprah magazine and it says the price of salt meets saving face in this gripping historical thriller from the celebrated author of ash proof of low skill at creating darkly romantic tales of love in the face of danger and i was like the price of salt meets saving face what are you talking about (laughs)
1: what i mean i kind of get it i kind of get it Well, I I still haven't seen Saving Face. Yeah, I haven't either. Oh, we should do that.
0: We should do that for another episode.
1: Yeah, but I get recommended it a lot because one of my favorite movies is Imagine Me and You and everyone's like, oh, Imagine Me and You is just like a British version of Saving Face. And I'm like, okay, got you. Uh But I did see the Price of Salt connection, which Mm -hmm. is most likely going to be known as Carol, Mm -hmm. which is its movie adaption, because it very much has like, I forget the characters' names. But where Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. is like basically the gay sexual awakening mm-hmm. for Sally Rooney's character, and also kind of like invites her into Sally Rooney's world, character. Because like, Caitlyn, I mean, sorry, Rooney Mara, Rooney Mara, <laughs> oh, Rooney Sally, Mara's was character. Like, Sally Rooney, you mean um, the the novelist? <laughs> imagine now that that interesting. That is something, but no, Rooney Mara's character. Anyways, and Kate. <laughs> Introducing Rooney to mm-hmm. Staphism. Mm-hmm. And, like, I see that, and especially, like, the time period and, like, like, typically like, yeah, 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 yeah. to, like, it's kind of, like, a teenage version yeah. of that. Yeah. We kind of see through Lily, like, Cast's journey as well of becoming, like, more butch. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The butchification like, the, of Cast. Like, yeah, the, the butchification of Kath. I think is so so sweet yeah and that's something that I would have been like more interested I also think yes I like this book but I would love a book that's like about the telegraph club and then like we see it throughout history and like it's patrons and like a couple of chapters we see like the recurring like high school couple that keeps coming to the telegraph club that would be cute yeah like I would I would love to know more about the patrons like I'd love a story from like Tommy Andrews uh-huh. yeah Tommy Andrews the drag king performer like I want his story or her yeah. story you know yeah. like the adults and and like Lana and the people that like take Kath and Lily under their wing because like they mm-hmm. obviously see them as baby loves because Kath and yeah. Lily think they're being so slick and then like every adult is like <laughs> you know like you're you're children lesbians, but we understand what it's like to be isolated, so we're gonna let yeah, you yeah, into yeah. this space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And, like, when they go back to the apartment, and the apartment is so cool. Like, the like mm-hmm. it's an apartment filled with smoking lesbians. Lesbians smoking <laughs> indoors, drinking martinis. I was literally screaming, <laughs> punching in the air that I wasn't there. All was in on the couch in 1950s clothing. I was like, let it be me. It's just me. Like, I was, I wanted to yank Lily out of there and take her spot and, like, Live my fantasy. And so, like, I was like, oh. and so that's why it made me so frustrated when she's just like a drink and cigarettes and toes and skirts and women together. In a r- I was like, girl, if you did not seize this opportunity, I'm literally going to punch you in the face. Like, I was like oh But then like all the descriptions of the scene I was like my dream, my dream Mm -hmm. So then like I want all of the characters It's like a good book because I guess Mm -hmm. in that way I was like I was invested in the scene I was invested Mm -hmm. in the universe I was invested in these characters I want want to know more about the Telegraph Mm -hmm. Club Oh also my least favorite part I think one of the reasons why I really started to lose me Right before the ending Was because that's when she like kind of stops hanging out with Kath And she's like hanging out with Shirley all the goddamn time Mm -hmm. And truth be told I couldn't care less about Shirley <laughs> like, I know Shirley's supposed to be this whole childhood best friend journey moment. Like, I get that. Uh-huh. Like, narratively important. Got Yeah. That. As a character, every time Shirley spoke or Lily had to speak with Shirley, I, I hated it. Yeah. I hated yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I found Shirley so annoying. Yeah. I was like, oh, yes, we're supposed to. But it was, it was so long. Yeah. I felt like the the what was it the like Miss Chinatown uh-huh, is that the pattern uh-huh. that the shoes a little too long for my taste LOL. I needed it a little bit shorter but I'm dead that's so funny yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I hated I hated Shirley's friends mm-hmm. and then the scene when Lily finds Shirley with like her boyfriend that she's not supposed to have like mm-hmm. I was like I couldn't care mm-hmm. like where's Kath where are the lesbians where's the club I'm where dead. are the cigarettes that's so that funny. That is what I want to know yeah. more about. I think it'd be
0: a cute, like, limited series to do, like, on just the Telegraph Club and each episode featuring one of the characters mm-hmm. and, like, about their storylines yes. and seeing, like, the, ind- yes. the other people as, like, side characters. That'd be so cute. That'd be a sleigh, I think. But that's
1: what I mean. It's like, once we get to the Telegraph Club, I was like, so, I was like, this, this is the spot to be. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, the way that it... And obviously, with like, the police raid, mm-hmm. very, very appropriate for the time. Mm-hmm. So sad. So stressful. Mm-hmm. And I, I low-key feel bad. Because, like, right before the raid, like, Kath and Lily are making out. And I was like, I need this to end. God, <laughs> I need this to end. And then it does. And I'm like, wait, not like this. No. <laughs> I'm dead. I was like, I was really, I was like, oh. But then there's like. I think we talked about this in the last episode that we recorded. I love gayness in the times of homophobia, yeah. like when like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like when when the love is like not supposed to happen uh-huh. like like with with external pressures uh-huh. that is when I find the most creative yes. romance, and so I was like, this is a time period that I l and like Kath and Lindley trying to find each other, and not knowing if Kath was arrested or not, like all of that, I was like, I'm here for it.' And this is, like, when, like, Lily really, like, is like, yes, mm-hmm. I'm a dyke. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm I mean, as if done. we didn't know that. That's also, I'm like, girl, how long, like, the fact <sighs> that you went this long, and you're like, Am I in love with cat? Yes, babe, you're in love with Kat. <laughs> We've known since, like, page 15. <laughs> like, god damn. Yes. Yes, you are. Ooh, Hello. Welcome, Hello.
0: Lily. Yeah. The world. When they, when, when the lesbian, yeah. all, when all the old head lesbians are sitting around being like, I can spot a baby butch when I see one to <laughs> Kat and Kat, like, blushes, I was like, I'm
1: dead. This is so funny. <laughs> um, oh my so, god. It is so funny. Yeah, no. And all the adults, like having to listen to Lily being like Kath and I aren't girlfriends and then everyone everyone, me all the other characters looking at each other being like yeah uh huh yeah And historians will call them best friends. Of course, Lily. Of course. I'm dead. Oh, but I also...
0: Okay, something that I found really sweet was how on the dedication page, like before the book starts, it says, to all the butches mm-hmm. and femmes, past, present, and future. I was like, Oh, so yeah. cute. Oh my god. That's me! I was like... No, I-, <laughs> I was screaming. <laughs> I
1: was like, so true. Yeah, I thought... I thought that that was very sweet. And obviously, like, my own personal beef with the character. Not really, but, like, my own annoyances and stuff like that. Like, I think the story is, like, so very butch femme, like, honorary. Mm -hmm. And, like, the relationship that they have, like, Lily being the femme, not knowing that she's a femme. And also in her, like, such pure... Adoration for butches yeah. and for her. She's obsessed cat with Tommy. Bush. When she saw the poster, she was obsessed like, with "Oh, Tommy. slay!" <laughs> the, oh my gosh! That's the other thing is the way that she describes her horniness when she sees Tommy. I couldn't bear it. That's, so, like, funny. It was That's like, like,
0: so funny. That's actually so funny. Like it's
1: fine, but I hated. Like she was literally like any the sheer mention of Tommy panties instantly wet. And I'm like, I need you to get yourself together. I need you to get yourself together. Like, you cannot be fucking creaming at the new suggestion of Tommy Andrews. Like, please. I'm dead. See, her attraction for butches, uh-huh. I was like, yes, important historically, like, Sam's uh-huh. love butches. Uh-huh. Yes. But as just, as human being, girl, I need you to tone it down. Like, your teenage horniness is too high. Like,
0: I'm dead. When sorry. her and Kath
1: fuck for the first yeah. time I was like god save me like <laughs> Jesus could not end the scene fast enough like, <laughs> yeah there, there's sex scene like, in the classroom again, I was and like again, and again this is not to shade <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't. this isn't to shade like the author or like mm-hmm. me thinking that the book is bad this is just me not wanting to hear about teenagers having sex like I don't want I don't want to hear conversations I don't want to see it on mm-hmm. tv I mm-hmm. don't want to read it Mm-hmm. Um, none of that even and again this is coming from someone who had a sapphic relationship mm-hmm. my senior year of high school like I, i'm not saying that it's unrealistic or that it's bad i just i couldn't i couldn't stand you
0: it. Um, Renaissance could not deal could not mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm dead i couldn't yeah Ugh. i mean there is a sequel of this book coming out to following because we end with them like going to, in the epilogue they like go to college as adults, yeah and then yeah. like they're meeting up again
1: they're like oh i'd be interested i'm very interested in their adult lives mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like it's kind of in the same way how i feel about olivia rodrigo and then do i care about her teenage experiences <laughs> no no i do not i don't care at all that doesn't mean that i think that they shouldn't exist or that i think that sour should not exist as an album because Sure. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. But I can't wait until her albums when she's like in her 20s or as an adult. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, please, Olivia, tell me what you have to say. I'm I'm more than open ears. I'm I'm open ears. So Mm -hmm. very, very that very that that's funny but yeah so that is us
0: discussing last night at the telegraph club by melinda Lowe. um i think a lot of our listeners have already re- read it and for those who haven't i'm mm-hmm. sure they've been encouraged to do so
1: oh wait i have one other yeah, thought yeah. i have i have one other thought i think the anti-communist scenes slash commentary is very funny they were fucking hilarious please it's so first of all kind of random yeah like like historically it makes sense uh-huh. but for the fact that we're supposed to be following the lesbian love story of two seniors in college I feel I felt seniors like the high communist school? subplot was a little forced mm. if you will especially with like the scene with the dad where he like got questioned by the CIA or the FBI or something mm-hmm. about like the communists or like in the beginning like Lily goes to one picnic yeah. and they're like they're communists. communist thing. you can't do that ever uh-huh. again uh-huh. she's like what do you mean? Play volleyball? Like, yeah. I it was, it was, like, was like, sorry for eating a hamburger at the park. Yeah. Didn't know that that was a fucking crime. <laughs> um, <but> it like, <laughs> it was, like, kind of forced. Yeah, and it was like, pretty okay, heavy-handed. Whatever. Yeah. And then also, it's just, like, communists are evil and take everything and mm-hmm. power-hungry mm-hmm. and bad. And I'm just like, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, like, this thing where it's, like, we like as a family when they're like telling lily that like she can never hang out with the one like youth group or whatever Uh they're like we are american and therefore we hate communists and i was like (laughs) work (laughs) like, slay yeah i was like okay like i get it like historic like you know the whole assimilation Uh you know like you have to internalize and keep like these american conservative values so that Mm -hmm. like because her like for so much of the book her her dad is like literally almost deported. Yeah. Um, because of community sympathy. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Like the book could have just focused on like Lily and Kath or like Lily's relationship to her family without like the direct communism mm-hmm. aspect of it. Like it could have like painted the historical universe, yeah. you know. But it was it was very strong and just like out of no like there wasn't any actual commentary on yeah. communism. Yeah. It's just like the same like Yeah, the propaganda or the bullshit that we see again and again. Yeah, I was like, okay, like, this isn't, like, new. Yeah. Like, you can get this anti-communist stuff literally anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But but I wonder what liberals who are anti-communist thought, like, if they picked up on the bullshit or if they're like, this is so real. (laughs) I mean, so true. I mean, I think the liberal take yeah. on it is like, well,
0: it's bad that people are being racist to Chinese people because they think all Chinese people are communists. But communism is still bad. I'm pretty sure that's the that's the milk toast sleigh of mm-hmm. people's takeaway
1: from the okay. book. I was curious cuz I was like I was like as a communist who is not anti-China uh-huh. <laughs> who's not like xenophobic uh-huh. in this way. I was like I think that this is kind of like ridiculous Mm -hmm. but what is someone who's like isn't smart yeah (laughs) people who don't consume media correction, how how would they listen to this yeah yeah I wonder I was I was wondering like what what are the other perspectives Mm -hmm. but yeah Mm -hmm. indeed so
0: yeah um do we want to get into recommendations third portion
1: of the podcast my recommendation is Encanto I literally just watched it like earlier today slash last night Mm mm-hmm which it's the Disney, the new Disney movie that just came out. I was very apprehensive to watching it because the music is by Lin-Manuel Brand. And I'm like, I have served my time. Like literally, I have served my time. Last night, I was listening to Hamilton. Do you know why I was listening to Hamilton? I saw your tweet. I saw your tweet about it. Yeah. And you know what? It's because you're, you're like, I hate liberalism, but I have the strongest urge. And I was like.
0: God save us! No, and that's the thing. It's okay. This here's why. Here's my reasoning. Back to fan. Now you're trying to justify Hamilton streaming. Back to fan fiction. Um, I was reading. No, that's a worse start than where I thought you were going to start, with. No, 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 listen. That's worse. We've regressed. <laughs> We've regressed. I was reading fan fiction last night, as you do. And one of the. It was like a story that was like a play on the song Say No to This. It was like a cheating thing. And I was like. And because it followed the plot of the song Say No to This, I was like, I need to listen to this fucking song right now. And I did. So. <laughs>
1: What's more painful, me listening to Lily and Kat's sex scene or me listening to you justifying why you were streaming? Hamilton? Honestly, the pain is pretty similar, I must admit. <laughs> torture, psychological it's torture.
0: <laughs> Please. Oh, my God. Yeah, but actually, I have been meaning to watch Encanto. What with that
1: being said. I have been meaning to. The way you pronounce it, I can't. What, how am I
0: supposed to? I'm, I'm pronouncing it the way that I read it.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, you are. You are. And that's... <laughs> 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 you are saying it how you read it. And that is, that is fundamentally the issue here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's encanto. Like, the T sound, uh-huh. your T is so sharp to the, to the ear, like yeah. a pin. Yeah. Like, in canto. (laughs) It's, yeah. (laughs) So, the reason why I thought of this recommendation, besides the fact that I just saw it, is because it does kind of deal with the, like, generational relationships Mm -hmm. that Last Night at the Telegraph Club touches on. And I think that that, like, is the main plot of the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But since I saw so many people, like, so many people, like, specifically Latinos and stuff, we're getting mad at like white people's takes and just other non-white people were getting mad and being mm-hmm. like white people shut up about their takes about the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure, whatever. But then people were like very aggressive. Like they're just like a lot of impassioned takes about this mm-hmm. movie. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Let me see <laughs> let what's, see going what's on all here, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Let me get to the source material here. Uh-huh. Like step aside, you know. Yeah. Let me get my own eyes on this. So then I watched it. And I was like, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is is this not just an, a normal fucking kids movie? Like, it's good. <laughs> like, the, the piece of the storytelling yeah. is good. The depictions of family, great. Uh-huh. But people were really getting into it. Uh-huh. And I was like, maybe it's because I do come from a Mexican family. Like, uh-huh. I, I, I get this family relation. So maybe it's because it's not a foreign concept uh-huh. to me. I w- wasn't losing my mind. Because I was like, yeah, families function like this, uh-huh. you know? Like the way that people were talking about the character of Abuela as like Uh a villain Uh I didn't think that she was a villain at all nor Uh do I think that she was like an anti-villain or someone who needs defending I'm like she just Uh watched the movie like did you see the plot like all of her behaviors Uh it's not like people were acting like it's like a surprise twist or like you really had to catch the small easter egg Mm -hmm. to understand why (laughs) all these characters were behaving this way and I'm like no like it's not patronizing but it does justify the behaviors of each character mm-hmm. you know I was like okay some of you just I don't know if you've never like watched anything until this is the first time you're like <laughs> something, so you're really proud of yourself or like you're white and just don't know how to handle movies that aren't about your family dynamics but both uh-huh. some sometimes like both like not to be like a both-siders type of person but like multiple uh-huh. people need to calm down about this fucking movie yeah but with yeah. that being said it's still very good though like i still recommend yeah. it yeah yeah that's hilarious that is very funny i was like hearing the takes and then watching the movie and then thinking again about the takes i'm like no okay, fucking way yeah you both need to just yeah. calm down yeah
0: that's our that's our takeaway from this episode y'all need to work mm-hmm. on the media literacy skills we <laughs> we need some <laughs> english yeah. 101 like come on Oh, God. Okay. um, I'm going to go show you the book that I have. And if you are a Patreon member, which you should be if you can, because we slay on Patreon. And you'll also get to see... Okay, I'm going to recommend a book. And... Uh... You know, we gifted each other some stuff and we did an unboxing Mm -hmm. that's Patreon exclusive. So patreon.com slash lavender menace if you want to go see that. And we also do early releases of episodes and extra bonus content like our gift giving and stuff. Anyway, anyway, besides that plug, let me get into the books I want to recommend you that I will, you will see in video if you're a patron. So I'm going to recommend another like young adult book. But, but, I'm hedging this because... We, as we just saw my thoughts, we know how much I loved it. I know, I know. (laughs) I know you love that. But, here, here's why. Okay, so, and it's also actually, like, a Latinx story, too. And that is um, We Set the Dark on Fire by Taylor K. Mejia. And it's a duology. It's very feminist lesbian and marxist to me to me i mean to anyone who has a brain reading it but i i okay mm. on my youtube channel a sunny book nook everyone subscribed to sunny i recently ha- hit 10,000 subscribers which is yes. basically a massive slay um but anyways <laughs> I really want to do a Marxist feminist review of this duology, which now that I'm said it out loud on the podcast, is gonna really push me to like actually fucking do that. Because in this duology, we are following. The, first of all, look at the bisexual color sleigh of this of the cover. It's such a beautiful. I actually did a book look for for this book that I will like repost on our lavender menace pod instagram account which you should also follow at the lavender pod anyways in we set the dark on fire it's set in this fantastical universe kind of on an island-ish and it's obviously very much inspired by latin american culture and all the names and stuff are all it's all like spanish-speaking type beat we start off in the perspective of well the whole book is from the perspective of daniela vargas and I'm saying that wrong, but please st- don't correct me. So Daniela, <laughs> so Daniela goes to um, the the Medea School for Girls. And at the Medeo School for Girls, so the inside flap says, at the Medeo School for Girls, distinguished women are trained for one of two roles in their polarized society. Depending on her specialization, a graduate will one day run her husband's household or raise his children. But both wives are promised a life of comfort and luxury, far from the frequent political uprisings of the lower class. Daniela Vargas is the school's top student, but her bright future depends upon no one discovering her darkest secret, that her pedigree is a lie. Her parents have "'sacrificed everything to obtain forged identification papers "'so Danny could rise above her station. "'Now that her marriage to an important politico's son "'is fast approaching, she must keep the truth hidden "'or, she, or be sent back to the fringes of, of society, "'where famine and poverty rule supreme. "'On her graduation night, Danny seems to be in the clear, "'despite the surprises that unfold. "'But nothing prepares her for all the difficult choices "'she must make, especially when she is asked "'to spy for a resistance group, "'desperately fighting to bring equality to Medeo.' Medeo is like the island in the country. Will Danny give up everything she strived for in pursuit of a free Medeo and a chance at forbidden love? <laughs> so that is the... Um, oh my god, look at how much my elbow is bleeding from me scratching it. Um, if you're on the Patreon, on the Patreon video, you, you will understand. Anyway, so... Basically, in this world, it's very class oppressed based world, and our main character Danny is like basically an illegal immigrant mm-hmm. with forged papers. There's two roles in this in for women at this school at the Medeo School for Girls. There's the Primera and the Segunda, and the Primera is the woman who like every every famous every rich political man in this country in Medio has two wives one wife who's the primera who runs his household helps him with his political decisions like is on top of her shit and then the segunda is the one who like bears the children keeps the house nice like you know has sex with him you know whatever right so basically our danny is has been raised in this school has been trained to be a primera and so she's very ice cold and like nothing can get past her. She has created a very good facade for the purpose of political manipulation and maneuvering. She also has this really contentious relationship with this other girl at the school named Carmen. And Carmen is like a a very beautiful girl who is in the Segunda class. And basically by the end of like the first couple chapters, we see the resistance group corner her and they're like, Okay, here's the thing. There's a new policy for making sure your papers are legit. And your papers right now are not up to are not up to par. So we will give you new paper, new forged papers so that you can like graduate at the top of your class and get assigned your good role and not get kicked out of the country. But in order for us to give you these papers, you have to agree to spy for us as the resistance group. And she's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Eventually, like, yeah, she gets blackmailed into working for the resistance group to get these papers. And they target her because they know that as the top Primera in her class, she's going to end up becoming the wife to the most important Politico's son so right now like basically like the prime minister of the country is this guy and then his son is going to end up one day taking his place and the son this guy oh my god he made my blood fucking boil anyways by the end of like the first couple chapters she ends up getting married to this guy and he is like you know the most important future political and the current political person in this country, in this very patriarchal, class-divided country. And the Segunda, so she's the premier, the Segunda is Carmen. And Carmen is someone who she's had beef with since the beginning of school. Since the beginning of school, Carmen has been (laughs) bullying Danny, And so... (laughs) So they end, you know, they're all both ending up living mm. in the same house. Danny has a huge secret to hide. That, A, she's undocumented, and B, she is working for this resistance group. I mean, against her will, but she has to. Um, and so okay. she has to hide that from her husband, but also from Carmen. So throughout the first novel, we see her sort of acclimate to her, like, graduate from school, acclimate to her new life and her position as the Primera, but her husband is a bit of an asshole, you know, one may expect. And the Segunda, she, Carmen is kind of showing herself to be an interesting character. And so we kind of see the political maneuverings that are going on and there's this forbidden romance that kind of this enemies to lovers forbidden romance, like two wives situation that happens between Danny and Carmen shit goes down. It's very fast paced. Obviously it's set in this like fantasy universe that is very class divided and it's very patriarchal. So there's a lot of sexist and sexual violence and commentary about class division and poverty. And also like we see Danny kind of struggle with the fact that like she hasn't seen her parents in like 14 years and like she and her family have sacrificed everything for her to be in this position But now that she's in this position things are not looking so great for her either because her husband treats her like shit And she also was like spying and like she's being forced to spy for people And she's also having to contend with like the fact that you know She came from a really poor background and now she's living in like the lap of luxury and There's so much poverty around her and her husband who has the most political power in this world doesn't give a fuck He doesn't give a fuck about her either and it's just crazy because we also we see her romance develop with Carmen and then we also see the political intrigue build and it's all set in this like really, really interesting world that has, uh, There, it's just, it's very good and I can't talk about the second book, We Unleash the Merciless Storm that much because it would totally give away um, We Set the Dark on Fire but in this mm-hmm. book we follow Carmen's perspective and also throughout We Set the Dark on Fire mm-hmm. so many different people's like secrets and shit gets like gets revealed and by the end of the story oh my god that like the last like 30 percent of we set the dark on fire things are things go crazy and everything that builds up to it it's like so (laughs) tense and like you feel all this shit and like danny is just such an interesting character to be inside the head of because she is so like smart and able to maneuver things politically like even at the at like breakfast she's trying to appeal to her husband's sense of ego while also trying to work from like get information and having to like sneak out to meet with the resistance group and like it's crazy it's so crazy and she really has to contend with be be, like should i be a class traitor or how do i protect myself and my family how do i like it's so good and it also doesn't really feel like Mm -hmm. ya because it's a fantasy it's like so fast-paced and shit and also they're adults like they just graduated school and now they are living in this asshole's home and she's having to deal with the asshole but then also the asshole's dad and then the asshole dad's two wives and like it's it's crazy because of course there's the whole primera segunda like like system and situation which you know there's like two wives and then like the whole political landscape of this world it's so good and all like obviously it's about revolution obviously it's about class struggle obviously it's about gendered oppression and Mm -hmm. oh it's so good it's so good for we set the dark on fire the little like subheader says let the rebellion burn and then for the subheader for we unleash the merciless storm it's let the Mm -hmm. reckoning rain and like it's it's just so it's it's so good it's incredible and one of the <laughs> it's like Sapphic fantasy that contends with like class I mean it kind of it's just that it it just hits the spot for me personally it's yeah. it's giving it, she gives every time so that's my recommendation yeah. I listened to it via audiobook but now obviously I have the physical copies because they're beautiful and also I love love the books but
1: yeah and I think the author is Mexican I'm pretty sure look at that we didn't even plan on having Latina or <laughs> Latino recommendation theme, but here we are yes indeed which yours is like much more passionate and out of love and mine is like if I must do another Lin-Manuel Miranda <laughs> project <laughs> against my, against will, my, fun- yeah, against my will yeah against my social well. yeah like, literally stop hiring. Who... Why has Disney commissioned so many of yeah. his projects? Yeah. Stop hiring this Actually, like, in the new updated version of The Magic School
0: Bus, Lynn manuel Miranda is on the set. Like, the, you know the welcome to the magic school
1: of us like that theme song he sings in it Mm -hmm. you get it's so awful shut the fuck up that's the one good thing about Encanto is that he's he's not a character no self-inserts no Lin-Manuel (laughs) self-inserts we were free people oh god and he like he's not the vocals on any of the songs which like does help because like his lyricism, like okay, yeah. he can he got draw his a few words down, down from time to time, like yeah. okay, okay, LOL. I'll give him credit where credit's <laughs> due. But it does make it easier that it's really the only mark because he does have uh-huh. a very distinct way of like his songwriting. But uh-huh. you don't hear his like whiny, nasally, Not yeah. literally. <laughs> so, uh, no, oh, literally, I've, I've spent. Spend too much time. I was in. I had my Lin Manuel era. Okay, uh-huh. don't come for me. Uh-huh. I. I was there. Uh-huh. I'm. Out. It was rare. Scott I free. was there. I remember it all too. Well. <laughs> no, not all too well.ification of God. being a Lin Manuel No, state. <laughs>
0: honest to God, honest. To God. Like it. I was in the trenches, bro. It was bad.
1: It was real bad. It but. was like. I served that time. That's why when, like, I see current Lin-Manuel Miranda stands, I'm like, haven't we already gone through this? Yeah. I thought grow we, the fuck we up. all made it out.
0: It's like liberalism. I'm always like, you're a liberal? Like, you're not kidding? Like, you're dead ass. Like... Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's mm-hmm. our episode for you today. Sorry that it's so long. Actually, not sorry. Um, sorry hashtag sorry not sorry. Go become a patron. <laughs> the Patreon. www.patreon.com slash Lavender Menace. Follow us on Twitter and on... TikTok. TikTok? Yes, the lavender menace pod everywhere, basically. Instagram too, letterbox. Mm-hmm. Like, come on now. Um, yeah. Yes. That's our episode Woo. for for today. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.